Lee Murray there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Two great mid-sized American cities. Yes, sir. Here to break down the Detroit Lions. Yes, it's the official 2020 Detroit Lions back judge season preview. Uh, couldn't be more excited to be here. And I guess I'll, I'll start off the podcast here. Uh, my, I'll say, indoctrination of Lee uh, as a Lions fan began in eighth grade when he moved here from California. Lee has been, you know, slowly following the team since then. Uh, if I, you can correct me here if you want, but I think a seminal moment in your Lions fandom history was the Monday night game in Dallas. Yep. Uh, you know, hit you the the wrong way, and uh, I think that's kind of when you felt you're really emotionally tied to this team. So, if we can, man, where are you at meter wise? You know, you follow the team, you know what's going on, but in terms of the emotional investment, I'm as emotionally invested um, as I've ever been in the Detroit Lions. Um, I know what it's like to be an emotionally invested fan. You know, I, I've been a diehard of, you know, other, um, other ball clubs, you know, Michigan football, the Detroit Pistons, I'll say, are the two teams that I've been a diehard of. Um, I acquired being a, a, a New York Rangers fan right when I moved to Michigan because I figured, you know, I didn't really have a hockey team at the time, and, and my dad watches all 82 games of the Rangers. And you know what I said? I got to have this emotional connection to the Rangers. I'm watching all these games, and that grew into something that became a beautiful thing. And now I'm really feeling it with the Detroit Lions. I'm really invested. And I do want to say, as an addendum to um, me finding my Lions fandom, the, um, the right look game against the Houston Texans. I spent about two and a half, three hours after that game kind of contemplating, um, you know, my emotions after it, how it made me feel, why it made me feel that way. And I really took a deep dive into my, uh, my Lions fandom. So, yeah, those two instances against those two Texas teams um, really molded me to become the fan I am today. Yeah, man, that game in Houston was one of the ones that I thought about putting into my top ten under-the-radar Lions losses. Yep. I felt that it was a little more specific, maybe just to our friend group than than to the masses uh-huh. to to throw it in there. But fair enough, man. That that was a that was a nail in Jim uh, Jim Caldwell's coffin, yeah. man. Going going with that field the, 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 the onside <laughs> kick just to put him in field goal range. They had the light. Oh my god, just, just brutal. Just whatever. I remember just sitting brutal. on the steps um, outside of Murts yeah. Hall for about twenty five minutes, just kind of sitting in the sun there. And uh, was that before yeah. or after the security guards chased you around uh, the campus? I want I want to say that was before i want to say the security guard instance happened a few months after in november um but yeah no short of no shortage of excitement up on the north side chicago baby uh and just a little more uh pre-show blabber uh we gotta mention as of last year's podcast of course we are hashtag legal dudes and that yep. means uh we'll, we'll have ourselves a few beverages Absolutely. over the course of this podcast um just keeping it loose we hear that our friends in Downingtown are having a little bit of a supply shortage, which you know is good to hear because they're staying in business during COVID, but can't reach the people. So Lee, you went everywhere to try and find it, but just couldn't Man. couldn't find yeah, it. Yeah, I went I went to great lengths to try to find myself a six pack of sour monkeys. Um, I enjoyed some sour monkeys last year on the preview. I was looking forward to enjoying them this year, but you know I guess it wasn't meant to be. Um, so you know I'm a I'm an open guy when it comes to IPAs, beers. I like, you know, I reward good presentation. I reward good branding. So I went, I looked around, and I found a nice voodoo brewing company out of Meadville, Pennsylvania. 
We got a uh, Killer Pills. We stayed in state. Killer Pills. Stayed in state. Here. That's important. And I'll say, you know, it's not my favorite IPA I've ever had, but I'm locked in. I'm ready. I got some New Holland Brewing Co. Tangerine Space Machines on deck, just in case uh, things get a little frisky and I get got to hop back into in-state New Holland, Michigan. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm locked and loaded here. And you know, although I will be missing the sour monkeys, this all may be a blessing in disguise because last year I was off the monkeys and I was. Uh, not necessarily speaking too many truths about this about this ball club. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this year we can we can change that. And I have uh, some switchback ales that are from Burlington, Vermont. Found them at my local Wegmans. Uh, I'm a sucker for an amber ale. What can I say? So you're going uh, east side. So far, you're going east side. Yeah, you know, hey man, I'm out here in the Northeast now. Not really a Midwestern boy anymore. As much as uh, that's who I am in my heart, I gotta you know try yep. some new things, branch out here. You know, maybe yell at some people when I'm driving, yep. cut someone off. You know, Jersey, New York, man, I got to get into the swing exactly. of things. Uh, so I- I'm thoroughly enjoying it, though, so far, and uh, hopefully it'll give me some good uh, some good takes here as we get to the Lions. So, hey, man, to our listeners, man, just sit back, get a, you know, get your favorite yeah. beverage, you know, whether it be a water, whether it be, you know, a whiskey, whether it be a beer, yep. and enjoy us um, talking talking some Lions, all right, and let's... Let's go back to 2019, man, and I have to say, as someone who's basically grown up with this team, last year's 3-12-1 season probably was one of the more disappointing ones uh, ever, and I think for a lot of fans, it kind of felt like a return to the Miriucci marinelli days, uh, where just nothing was going right, the team was sorry. And that's frankly not what we expected for year two of, of Matt Patricia. Um, a lot of different things happened. The Quandre Diggs trade, which we'll probably get into a little bit in the offseason. Darius Slay gets traded. But I think, I guess, the main thing was, too, Stafford's injury. He misses half the season, and the team, frankly, couldn't recover. I think 0-8 without Stafford. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Really just a big disappointment. You saw fans in the stands with sell the team shirts, booing at halftime. And a lot of it, I think, had to do also with just with the defensive performance. And that was supposed to be Patricia's M.O. And he can't even really make the group be average up to this point. Um, we saw Paul Pasqualoni kind of be a sacrificial lamb uh, there in January. And he was jettisoned in, in favor of Corey Underland from uh, the he was the DB's coach, I think, in Philly, mm. if I'm uh, yep. if I remember correctly. Um, but you got to think at this point now it's it's Matt Patricia's defense, and I think I can kind of segue into some of the stuff that we were saying about uh, the team in last year's podcast that I went and re-listened to. And you know, let's just be nice to ourselves. Let's talk about where we were right to to start off with. Um, and I think the number one thing that we kind of hit on was trusting in Daryl Bevel. Absolutely, and. You know, we were super excited about his hire. We talked about more deep shots in the passing game. We talked about a little bit more power running, which I feel like we saw more when Bo Scarborough was taking snaps later in the season. We saw that be pretty effective for this team. Uh, A lot of play action. And that was something that I think worked really well for this team. And I'm excited about Daryl Bevel in year two and and what they can do uh, on offense. We also said... This team is absolutely screwed if Matthew Stafford went down. And, we did uh, say that. Pretty much, hit, pretty much hit that one on the head with, you know, 
David Blau, and there was Tom Savage in there. Jeff Driscoll. And I got a few Jeff Driscoll moments. So uh, they didn't win a game without Stafford. And so we were pretty much uh, on the on the ball there. And the other place where we were pretty much uh, totally right was with the struggles with the off-the-ball linebackers. Jared Davis, not a great season. Uh, Christian Jones did pretty much what we thought that he would do, just be a thumper who can't cover anyone. And Jelani Tavai, the one notable moment for him was the, the goal line strip against the Chargers. But other than that, couldn't really cover anyone. A couple moments here and there in, in the run game and maybe a few pressures every once in a while. But, I mean, the other thing about Jelani Tavai, the Lions tweeted out a highlight video of him, and one of, one of his highlights was him blocking a ball with his back against the uh, Oakland Raiders. He was turned around, but it, the ball hit him in the back. So I guess that counts as a PVU. So uh, I think we, we pretty much checked all the boxes there in our preview. Yeah. Um, I honestly didn't go back and listen to the preview, but I do remember going over a few of those topics. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, just to kind of hash over what you were saying with last year, um, I guess I had a kind of a, a bit of a different outlook um, than you did. After Stafford went down, I kind of completely punted on the year. And it's not like I was rooting for them to lose games or anything like that. But my expectations for this team as a group went down, you know, insurmountably after he went down. And, uh, you know, I think what they, how they finished the year was kind of par for the course for, for a rudderless team with a quarterback who has little to no experience starting. Um, and Blau, Savage, uh, Driscoll, you name it. They were kind of... They really didn't have that direction. They really didn't have that, uh, you know, solid quarterback to fall back on that they're used to. And, you know, I was a lot softer on, on Patricia than, than most Lions fans were because of that reason. And, you know, you can say what you want about the defense, which is most of it is, is valid, where you can talk about um, kind of some of the shortcomings on the defensive side of the ball. But when you have a player like Matt Stafford go down, um, you know, no one wants to throw the season out completely, but I find it really hard to keep the expectations up to par with where they were before. Um, one thing I do want to point out is when Stafford was healthy, is kind of the close but no cigar situations that this team was always in. And um, real quickly, talking about in the eight games Stafford played, this team trailed at halftime in only two of those eight games. And those games, respectively, they were down by three and four points, and they only won three of those games. Basically, what I'm trying to say is they were leading in six of, of those eight games, and in the two games they were trailing in, it was by four or less points, and they only managed to get three wins. In the Kansas City, Green Bay, and Minnesota games, which I personally like to reference as the slaughter of the season, after starting 2-0-1, playing Kansas City, all the boys were in there, riled up. You can reference the, the articles. It was the first, you know, uh, the first big gathering of, of all our all our buddies from high school going to the game and that was complete a complete gut wrencher up by 10 at a certain point in that game you lose that one up by 10 against the Packers the next week obviously there's the penalties there's the complaints you lose that one and then up by seven against Minnesota the week after that and you lose that one that is the type of stuff that will completely slaughter your season and we watched it happen with the Lions and just to kind of segue, I guess, into a little bit of an outlook into this upcoming season, they really need to try to avoid doing that because you've known it a lot better than I have, being a Lions fan for longer than I have, and a lot of folks out there who have been Lions fans and are listening to this, this is kind of what this team does. And, and, and if they, the sooner they can escape from this identity, the easier it will be to move forward as a team and to you know kind of 
re-identify re, uh, as a group and, and with, with Patricia and, and, you know, the new coaching staff and all that. So that was another kind of dark side outside of Stafford getting injured was just their inability to really finish games and produce when it mattered last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, and another thing that we kind of missed on was how effective that this D-line was going to be. Mm. Um, in the podcast, we're talking about this unit being top five on paper with the addition of Mike Daniels especially was, was right around the time we started we recorded that podcast. And with the addition of Trey Flowers and also guys like, you know, betting on guys like Deshaun Hand to, to take a next step. Snacks Harrison was coming off a great season. Sean, we were you know, kind of loyal to, and we just expected this defensive line unit kind of to be really a top-tier unit in the league and just didn't really end up seeing that uh, when it came to came to playing the games. Mm. Uh, so kind of missed, missed there a little bit as well. And then we were, we were kind of high on the secondary as well, and I'll give us a little bit of a break there just because of the Quandre Diggs trade. Darius Slay was injured for a few games. So we were probably a little bit more bullish on the secondary than we should have, but there was also some extenuating circumstances that once the season started, we were not really um, in control of. But uh, Lee, lastly, kind of to put a bow on the, the 2019, uh, you have some some more sharp oh, statistics. Yeah. I know you kind of started getting into some of that with the Stafford stuff. But yeah. Can you kind of just uh, throw out some stuff you've been reading? Absolutely, and, and it goes back into the, the Warren Sharp statistics go back into where we were right, and that's Daryl Bevel. This guy is clearly an upgrade from Jim Bob Cooter, and he recognizes how talented Stafford is, and he's not afraid to let Stafford let it rip a little bit. This team went from 32nd to 2nd from 2018 to 2019 on first down passing aggressiveness, which I think absolutely was a huge part in their first half success. This year, uh, or this past year on offense when Stafford was healthy, their third down passing beyond the sticks rate, which is basically on third down, their tendency to throw the ball past the first down marker was 23rd in 2018, went to first in 2019. And then one thing that really caught my eye was Stafford was first in average completed air yards in the whole NFL at 8.3 yards. The league average is 5.9. You see guys like Golden Tate go away. And the, this is a team that did not rely as much on Yak as they have in years past. And I think it really worked to their favor. And, you know, in the, in the, in the eight-game sample size we saw from Matt Stafford last year, he was having an incredible year. He was near first in a lot of these categories. And this is just kind of a sign that I think, obviously, the injury happened. But you, we're getting into year two with this offense with Daryl Bevel. They kind of unlocked and, and figured out some parts of this offense, what they can do, what they excel at. And I think if they can really go back to the drawing board and try to improve on some of the second-half inadequacies that they had last year, because that's really what it was. This team was really, really good in the first half. Amongst the best passing teams in the NFL in the first half. And then in the second half, you know, you see some statistics where they start to run the ball a lot more. Um, I don't know necessarily what that was, but... With these statistics being made more and more available, I think it'll be easy for Daryl Bevel to be able to kind of reach back into the barracks and, and figure out what it is that's going to be able to get this offense ticking outside of Stafford's health. Um, and there's a lot, there's really a lot of stuff to like about um, what they did in year one from a passing standpoint. I really do think so. You know, when you look at these these Warren Sharp st statistics that I'm giving out here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was fascinated by the first two statistics I gave where 
first down passing aggressiveness, they were last in the league in 2018 with Jim Bob Cooter, and they jumped to second in the NFL. And, you know, a jump like that is very uncharacteristic. You don't see that happen a lot. And, you know, we're, we obviously think the world of Matt Stafford. To, so to have an offensive coordinator that, you know, is, is when you see the statistics that Cooter was producing as an offensive coordinator, it was very, very clearly not up to par with the skill level of the quarterback. So they got that year one out of the way. I do want to mention they're returning all their skill positions on offense. This is a group that has – they have chemistry – Stafford's health, obviously a big deal, but I think Daryl Bevel is a smart enough guy where if he figured all this stuff out coming into year one, I think they'll be able to take a step forward in year two, which if this offense can take a step forward in year two, they're going to be extremely dangerous based off the statistics they had with Stafford uh, under center last year. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a great breakdown of it. And lastly, just um, another thing we were a little bit wrong on was uh, the effectiveness of carry on Johnson. Mm. Uh, we were saying that he has the ability to be a three down back in the NFL, kind of a bell cow. And I don't think that we were necessarily wrong in saying that he has that skill level and ability, but just in terms of the injury history at this point, I think it's going to be hard to say that he's a guy you can trust to be uh, a three down back, even just going back to his college. Yeah, days. absolutely not. And another Warren Sharp statistic here, 28th ranked health rate for an offense in the NFL. I mean, that, I, I don't know what the Warren Sharp statistics are over the past five years, but I really would like to see if any team that placed in the bottom five in health rank for their offense came even close to making the playoffs in the past five years. I highly doubt it. And then on the rushing side of things, really underwhelming. Obviously, carry-on's health, a big deal. But even when he was healthy, all things together with Bo Scarborough um, and carry-on just throughout the whole season, 26th in the league in broken tackle rate, and 26 in the league in first half red zone rushing efficiency. Those are the types of things where if you're bottoming out in the league in these categories, it's not really going to end up well for your offense. You're going to have trouble finding a balance no matter how good your quarterback is. And that's something that's going to lead to to problems down the line if you can't create that balance. So we're going to need to see, you know, like I said, we're, we're going to need to see Bevel get in his bag a little bit and, and see what he can fix on this offense this year because the talent is absolutely there. Uh, lastly, just before we get into looking to 2020 with this football team, uh, last podcast we were talking about both Chuck Wash mm. and Ashawn Robinson as just the BJP Lions, the guys that we're you know really in the corner for. Yeah. <laughs> you know these are guys that you know a little off the radar dudes that we just you know like to pull for a little bit on this team, and obviously no long both of them are no longer on the roster. Chuck Wash is in Arizona. Uh, Asian Robinson signed with the LA Rams this offseason. So uh, there's there's an opening for, for a new BJP Lion. And when you we look into 2020, and I have my eye on, on who I believe that it should be. But I, Lee, I'd love for you kind of just to take a quick glance over the roster. Maybe maybe see you know who you would identify as that player as well. And I'd love to see if it's the same dude. Not only... I'll go out on a limb here, and I'm not going to say this with supreme confidence, but I'm not only do I have a guy, I think I might be able to guess your guy. Okay. I'm going to say my guy first. And right. if it's your guy, then I guess that's a double double whammy. Uh-huh. I'm going with Jalen Reeves Maven, man. This is a guy oh, who wow. that's a, I, that's a, I, it's not my guy. I have liked for a while. Um, we saw him produce heavily in preseason. 
and I really focus in on this linebacker group when I'm trying to find my guy that I can get behind. Um, and I think this is a guy who, if he can start to play to his potential in year three now and be a rotational guy that they can rely on, um, help their blitz ability, ranked last in the NFL in, in their ability to blitz, I think that he can be the type of guy that the BJP can get down with. But I'm going to go ahead and try to guess yours, and I'm going to go with Amani Oyuwarie yep. out of Penn State. That's a guy that yeah. you have been waxing yep. poetic about since the minute he came onto this roster, and it was an easy guess because, again, similar to Reeves Maven, if this is a guy who at that position with, with what I'm looking at with the depth chart, if this is a guy who can step up and start playing to the high end of his potential as opposed to, and again, he's had less experience in the league than Reeves Maven in his second year, or Aruarie, that is. If he can start playing to the high, high end of his potential, it can really bolster the secondary group and really give the depth necessary to have a secondary that you can rely on um, in this league. Yeah, man, when it comes to Reeves Maven, for me, it's just like he's been here a while already, so I'm, I've, I've almost... Not not moved Absolutely. on from, but just like from the, where the ceiling. I'm is, not I'm not declaring anything. I'm just keeping my eye on. Yeah, I'm keeping you know, my eye on him. That's so, all I'm doing. I'm so, not, there's, yeah, there's been no declaration. We'll have a discussion. <laughs> we'll have a discussion. All right, let's get into 2020 free agency, which was not as splashy as as 2019 was with the signings of Trey Flowers and, and Justin Coleman, but uh, definitely a few interesting things that I think we should talk about quickly. Um, the bigger signings on uh, that or the bigger additions to the team are uh, Vitae. Mm. I won't even try the first name. Uh, Jamie Collins, uh, Desmond Trufant, corner. Uh, Jamie Collins is a off-the-ball kind of edge linebacker type. Another Vitae, Patriot. obviously, offensively tackle. Another Patriot. Um, bring in Chase Daniel, backup quarterback, which I think we can get into uh, in a second when we just start breaking down the offense. Uh, Danny Shelton on the interior. Defensive line, and then uh, Nick Williams, who I want to talk a little bit once we get to the defensive line as well. I have his name underlined here on my sheet because you're the yep. resident Bears guy. I wanted to ask yep. you a few questions about him. Yeah, um, and then uh, God, I hate that I'm the resident Neither. Bears guy. I can't wait for have to be gone next year. God, man. Um, uh, and then some of the the losses in free agency. Graham Glasgow goes to the Denver Broncos. That was. I think we'll both agree that that was the biggest uh, departure. Devon Kennard goes to uh, Arizona. Uh, Ashawn Robinson goes to the Rams. Ricky Wagner uh, heads over to the Green Bay Packers. Sam Martin ended up uh, with the Denver Broncos, the punter, longtime punter for the Lions. Uh, and Logan Thomas, the tight end, ended up in uh, Washington, I believe. So Slay too. Uh, there's man. a you forgot the biggest yeah. one. Who? Slay. Yeah, I mean, I I, I sent it more as I, Slay was traded as well, yeah. which is a big departure. Yeah. I was I was framing it more as. Guys through the Lions just chose not to resign. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Slay was a kind of a trade and sign as well. But then, you know, Slay obviously included with that group as well. So, um, you know, Lee, obviously we'll get into some of this stuff when we do <clears throat> positional breakdowns. But just your overall thoughts on kind of what happened in free agency with this team. Even including Slay, I think Glasgow is the biggest departure. I'll go that far. Um, I couldn't agree with you more when you were – I think you talked about this a bit. I don't remember exactly what podcast it was on where you were making it clear that, I think it may have been the AFC West when we were talking about the Broncos, you were making it clear that how big of a departure Graham Glasgow was and kind of the confusing nature of them letting Graham Glasgow go, signing Vitae, drafting two guards. I'm totally on board with that. Um, but ultimately, all things considered with the signings they made and the departures that happened, 
I don't think the needle has moved too far from where it was. It's not like there were many there there were too many major departures that happened, mm-hmm. but they didn't at least plug the hole the best way that they could at the time. So I think they did a pretty good job of saving face after letting Glasgow walk and trading Slay with, you know, obviously drafting Okuda, signing Vitae, and then drafting the two guards in the third and fourth round. So ultimately, I think it was kind of a, it remains to be seen how effective this offseason was. It's tough to really trust in, in, uh, in the general manager here in Detroit. Um, to, to be making great decisions in the offseason. But all that being said, like I said, I don't think the needle was moved insurmountably, and I think that they plugged these holes relatively well. And, you know, with the guys they lost in this offseason, they, they, they locked and loaded pretty decently up front on the offensive line, although they don't have the same amount of experience. I think the talent level um, could match up, you know, similarly or even better within the next couple of years. Yeah, Lee, and I think you hit something on the head there just in terms of Bob Quinn. And, uh, I mean, the the leash for me is gone with mm-hmm. him. Um, there's been just too many things over the past couple of seasons that I've pretty much blatantly disagreed with that he's done. Um, you know, there's been a few good things, but there's been more stuff for me that I thought has been questionable, uh, especially when you just consider some of the, the draft stuff, which we'll get into in a second. But I don't know about – I don't know where you stand on it, but – for me, the Quinn thing, the, you know, in Quinn we trust, has has kind of been over. Oh, for it's a year over, now. man. It's over. So, um, and let's get into the draft then quickly. Obviously, Jeff Okuda with the third overall pick, um, I think becomes the highest drafted corner in the two thousands. I don't know how far you have to go back to find mm. another one, but uh, Jeff Okuda from Ohio State, the cornerback with that third overall pick, just kind of plugging that hole that Slay left. It seems like, you know, kind of just a switch there. Yeah. Uh, DeAndre Swift in the second round, which I'm sure you'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, guard Jonah Jackson and uh, Edge Julian Aquara, uh, third-round picks. Uh, Logan Stenberg in the fourth, a guard from Kentucky. Quintez Cephas, a receiver from Wisconsin in the fifth, as well as Jason Huntley, uh, a running back from, is it New Mexico State. New Mexico, yeah, uh, one of those southwestern teams uh and then john penicini from utah d tackle and then also uh, josh cornell who actually just went down Jay with Sean. a leg injury yeah Jay achilles it looks like year. he's out for the year yeah. yeah so that's you know i mean it's a seven round pick so what are you gonna do but mm-hmm. obviously if you don't feel bad for the guy that he can't uh kind of contribute this year and the achilles is always a, a tough one he's not a skill position player so a little bit of less a concern there but still the achilles is never a yeah a good injury and you know, we we did a pod on the on the draft and the rookies, and I think we were both kind of so so on it, especially as far as you know the later round picks went. But you know, as far as twenty twenty goes, I think it's hard to expect too much from these rookies, especially with the way the off season has been. But overall, just thoughts on the draft, Lee? I liked it. I thought it's mid- I think it's middling, honestly. Yeah. Um, like I said, and, I mean, the other thing I think is important to point out too is like you can't give too much credit to Quinn because it's like he's picking in the top three. Yeah. You know, so it's like you, you did something to make the roster the way that it was to pick there. Absolutely. And you pick good players, so it's like, well, you know, a lot of people could have done that with where you were picking. And another Warren Sharp stat, I'm, I didn't write it down because I didn't, you know, uh, it was dumb of me, but I want to say he said the Lions are leading the NFL in drafting running backs over the past decade. Um, and Well, I mean, I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that because they've taken Abdullah and Carrion and Swift on the second round. Yeah, and they took Javid even dating back to Mikel Ashore, Javid Best, yeah. you know those guys. Yeah, man. 
my whole thing with Swift is like, I don't necessarily think drafting a running back is ipso facto going to improve your running game. I don't think that that is necessarily like an A plus B equals C situation. And with the situation that Swift has come into in the place that he was drafted at, my expectation level is very high for this player coming into this offense in this year. With the way that the roster is shaken out, it's not like this is a team that can afford to groom him for a few years to become... He needs to come in and produce immediately if they're going to draft him with a 35th pick in the draft. So it almost remains to be seen for me whether or not I agree with this pick because I don't disagree with anyone saying that DeAndre Swift is a great football player and is electric and can totally improve this offense. I don't disagree with that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a great pick, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you know, he's going to come in and do those things year one. You know, the, People tend to overestimate how effective draft picks are going to be. But you know what it does mean is that I sure as heck can set the bar pretty high for this player because you know, we've seen the way things have trended with running backs. I'm not fully on the PFF boat of like running backs don't matter at all, but I'm somewhere getting near there because I think that there's a few other directions this team could have gone, but I'm still happy with this pick because I think DeAndre Swift can come in and be an electric player for them. And I already gave the stats about, bro, uh, you know, broken tackles and, and red zone rushing efficiency. And then just as a safety valve, you know, we've, we saw Daryl Bevel, you know, a, a lot of um, passing plays ended up in the flat to running backs. Um, you know, it's going to be great for, to have an option of, like Swift. He's the most sure-handed running back they have on the roster right off the bat, more, more so than Carrion or Bo Scarborough. But at the same time, you got to kind of scratch your head a little bit drafting a running back at 35 when just two years prior you drafted a running back in the second round. you got to kind of, you know, figure out what exactly the mentality is. I didn't like the reports coming out, COVID or not, saying, oh, we don't necessarily know what uh, DeAndre Swift's role is in this offense. And it's like, sure, I guess, you know, you can't expect them to, to immediately know. But if you're going to draft a running back at 35, you better have a pretty solid plan of what he's going to bring to your offense. And maybe that's them just kind of playing the game a little bit and not getting away too much. But like I said, and we'll say again, the way that this draft shook out and when they drafted DeAndre Swift just made it so, in my opinion, that I almost feel justified setting the bar almost unrealistically high for this player, because if they're going to, they're going to draft him there, there needs to be a means to the ends kind of, or an ends to the means well, I'm a little deep in this beer. I don't know my expressions right now. But, but yeah, I'm basically... Well, gonna... I think we'll get it a little bit... I mean, that's a great breakdown of it, but I think we'll get a little bit more into that when we talk about this running back group mm-hmm. um, you know, as a whole, as, as far as this offense goes. But then as you go down, I do want to say I love drafting two guards. Obviously, we talked about Ben Bredesen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too much into that. I want to focus more on the guys they did take. And there are good reports coming out of camp about Jonah Jackson, his confidence levels, his physicality and some rumblings that he might be a shoo-in to start week one for this team. So that's stuff that I, it's music to my ears hearing that. A guy obviously coming from a powerhouse program in Ohio State, he's recognized as winning, he recognizes competing at a very high level. So I do like that pick, and ultimately, I don't think that there's too much you can bash on in this draft. You know, you can talk about Isaiah Simmons, you can talk about, you know, Derek Brown, whatever, 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 but you can't disagree too much with bringing a young stud like Okuda in to replace Slay. And then signing Trufant also, I do want to say not to go backwards here, but signing Trufant to bring in that veteran presence to kind of replace Slay and have a little bit more of a rotation in the secondary there. Well, let's uh, let's start digging into this roster here. And I think, obviously, it all starts at quarterback. And 
Matthew Safford, man, let's have a little discussion about him because going back to last year's podcast, I, I texted about uh, this with you before, but going into 2019, I kind of forgot how much uncertainty there was about number nine. Mm. And the years with Jim Bob were good and then they were bad. And it was sort of, wow, is this the guy really that can take us forward? And then I think last year through the eight games that he played with Bevel, we saw someone play, frankly, at an elite level. Uh, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL through that time. It's just in terms of, you know, touchdowns to turnovers, yards, anything really you want to look at. And then most importantly, if you just look at the tape, man, he was he was unbelievable. And that's, you know, in a first-year offense and everything like that. But the one thing I, I just want to ask you about is where are you at? I mean, this is two straight seasons where a back injury – in 2018, it definitely affected his play greatly. And then now in 2019, it you know made him miss half the season. So just in terms of Matthew Stafford, I know he's you know started off his career with some injury issues and then kind of became one of the league's iron men. But I'm not trying to question his toughness, but just in terms of a back injury, you know, at this point in his career, where are you at in terms of your concerns with him uh, you know being able to make it through a season? At 100%. I would say it's my biggest concern, man. It's my biggest concern about this football player is the injury issues. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say, oh, no, he won't get injured. They did let uh, Graham Glasgow walk. They absolutely did do that. They did, you know, they have had trouble really identifying two tackles that they can rely on consistently. I don't know if Vitae is going to be the guy. I hope he is, but I can't say that for certain. But it almost is on the other end of things. It's the worst thing I can say about his game is the injury. If this guy can remain healthy, he's the best quarterback in the division. Period. I take him over Aaron Rodgers. I take him over Kirk Cousins, obviously. And we don't even need to talk about the Bears quarterback situation. This is a guy who, talent-wise, you can make an argument as a top five to top seven quarterback in the NFL. And I think he can play up to the... I think Matthew Stafford absolutely can play to an extremely elite level, and that's why I have so much confidence in this team. But ultimately, like you said, he is getting older. There is kind of a weird offseason here with COVID. There is the back concerns. There is the concerns on the offensive line. So there are definitely concerns there, but they're not from a skill standpoint. They're not from a reading defensive standpoint. They're not from a leadership standpoint. They're from an injury standpoint. And, you know... That's the type of stuff where you kind of can't control it, and you can hope that Vitae is going to come in and provide the requisite ability to play right tackle, and Decker is going to continue to be solid on the left side, and they're going to protect Stafford enough to be a middling. They really just need to be a middling offensive line where Stafford isn't getting you know the piss beaten out of him, because this is a guy who's going to deliver the ball. We saw him last year, Klepp, play like you said to an elite level, undoubtedly so. Undoubtedly so, and I know we're talking Warren Sharp a lot. He said it himself. This is a guy. This is a quarterback who he's been waiting and waiting to see an offensive coordinator who's going to be able to let Stafford loose a little bit, and that's exactly what Bevel did. That's exactly what I expect Bevel to do this year. And the injury concerns still remain, but the skill concerns, everything else, are not there. And I think we got a guy in Bevel here that that I can identify all the things that I just said about this quarterback's ability. And that really excites me, honestly, because I know he's in his 30s now, but it's not like he's old. You know what I mean? He's still kind of in his prime. He's still, we haven't seen him, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. We haven't seen the pepper come off that ball. We haven't seen him get, you know, the yips in the pocket or anything like that. This is a guy who's still ready to play. And 
I think this is a player who, you know, he's the face of the, he's the, face of the franchise, and he's the guy who's going to end up carrying this team to the playoffs if, the, if it happens. He's going to be the one that it's going to fall on the shoulders of. So, but to answer your question, I mean, I can't sit here and deny the fact that if you told me, you know, a year from now that Stafford was going to get injured in week six off some BS that the line screwed up on or taking too many hits, I'm not going to be, you know, too surprised, which again, you know, to kind of finish my point is I agree with you and, you know, maybe you pay Chase Daniel a lot of money, but hey man, this guy's a better option than David Blau. He's a better option than Jeff Driscoll. And if, you know, in a semi-best case scenario, if there, if injury is a reality and Stafford's out for three or four weeks, you have a supplemental quarterback who can maybe win two of those four games. And you're not going to be dealing with an 0-4 team with miscommunications and bad throws and, and, and just all the type of stuff that really makes you frustrated and makes you want to punt on the season altogether. Yeah, and I think that's really well said, Lee. And last year, Chase Daniel was a guy who played a couple games for the Bears and you know, were things fantastic? No, but they weren't really different from whatever Trubisky nope. was providing. You know, so I don't think it's a situation where, especially in a year with COVID, like you'll see Chase Daniel come in and everything just go to crap, mm-hmm. which which I think is is important. Um, and especially now with a fifty five man roster, I think you can still you know maybe more you know keep three quarterbacks around a little bit too if you want to try and develop David Blau into you know that backup quarterback, which you know, he wasn't horrible last mm-hmm. year when he played, but he wasn't he wasn't great. He wasn't who you want your second-string quarterback to be, necessarily. Um, and, you know, the last thing I'll say about Stafford and, and the quarterback situation, too, and this is a little bit of conjecture on, on my part. So, you know, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to get too, you know, personal with his life or anything, but considering, you know, last year he ends the season with the back injury and then his wife has a brain tumor mm. or whatever it is, right? And and going through an off season where you're dealing with that, like he can't necessarily focus and he shouldn't necessarily focus everything on getting healthy for the football season, right? He has to be there, you know, for his, for his family. And now that, you know, you get through all that and he suffers another back injury. But if you think about, you know, from the moment after the Oakland game, until now, he's had nothing to do necessarily but to get himself right. Absolutely. You know, he didn't have to worry about any family issues anymore or anything like that. It was kind of all about him and, and getting right for the season. So I think, you know, that could play a minor part as well. For sure. Again, that's a little, a little more conjecture. Obviously, I don't yeah, of course. know Stafford or anything. Hey, that's like what that. we're but here for. Think, we're here for conjecture. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I, you know, I, of course, I think, you know, your wife not having, you know, a brain tumor helps you, you know, yeah, a little bit relax sure. and get through an off season a little bit better. Yeah. So, and he's looking um, in the mirror, see. man, I, you know, 2018, yeah. six and 10, 2019, three and 13. I know those aren't all on his shoulders, but he is not a six and 10 quarterback. He is not a three and 13 quarterback. He is not a quarterback. That's not going to win playoff games. His career is coming to a reckoning, you know, and not even necessarily in a negative way. I just didn't really know necessarily how to phrase that. But this is he's identifying his career right now with this roster. I think he believes in the roster. I think he believes in the coaching staff. And I think that this is kind of the time where, obviously, you know, you can never predict health, but this is kind of it for him. These are the, past, these are the next few years here where he's getting into the end of his prime and, and soon he'll be out of his, the end of his prime and still be kind of playing good football. But... The window is closing and closing, and I think that, you know, this is an elite quarterback who needs to prove that, um, you know, on the, on the record sheet, and not only on the stat sheet. Let's jump to 
probably one of the more interesting position groups to talk about on this team as a whole, and that's the offensive line uh, and, and what's going on there. Obviously, we touched on the Glasgow departure uh, as well as the Rick Wagner departure. Um, Glasgow, to me, is much more of a hit than Wagner was, uh, but still you know, some, some key starter departures along that line. Um, Vitae right now, who basically was the backup starting tackle in yeah. Philly whenever Lane Johnson would get a PED or, you know, Jason Peters would tear his ACL, he would jump in there and play. And he was never bad, but he was never great either. So I can't say I'm super confident about... Sounds a lot like the Lions' um, right or right tackle he, over the past few years. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing maybe that I can say just as a vote of confidence for him is like, now you know you're a starter, you know what side you're going to play on, you can entrench yourself into that and, and kind of just go from there. Uh, Taylor Decker has been a pretty solid left tackle uh, over the course of his career as a Lion. Uh, he has struggled when he goes up against dudes in the division like Khalil Mack or Daniel Hunter. Uh, but then again, he's not you know getting killed by dudes who you know, aren't, aren't as good as him. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm fine with him as a starting left tackle uh, in, in the NFL. And he's put some of the injury stuff behind him as well, too. So I'm pretty comfortable with Decker being there, especially for just how long he's been in, in, in the uh, in the league and with the team. And then Frank Ragnow is, is going to be your starting center. And, you know, he's a guy who they drafted in the first round and he, he's played pretty well and now he'll get kind of that full-time gig at center with with Glasgow gone who would occasionally take snaps there and stuff and and I feel really confident with him as well and where things get just dicey is at this guard position um, and you know maybe Lee you look at it a different way but the way I kind of approach this guard situation is I expect Jonah Jackson to be a starter mm. you took him in the third round um, you also took Grand Glasgow in the third round, and Glasgow, you know, managed to carve out a starting role uh, coming from that same position. Big Ten school, Ohio State. I liked him on tape. Uh, I expect him to start at one of the guard spots, uh, and then it's kind of, kind of, be between Tyrell Crosby, Joe Dahl, Kenny Wiggins, and and Logan Stenberg to, to nail down that other position. And I guess I'm rooting for Tyrell Crosby to to you know kind of make his mark and and go in there at guard because. He really struggled last year when he was forced in to play tackle, especially I remember in the in the Denver game. So I'm not sure if he's really built for the for the outside in the NFL, but perhaps he could make his you know make a living at guard. Joe Dahl has not impressed me whenever he's played on the inside. Um, you know, not too much to say about Kenny Wiggins either. And Logan Stenberg, from from all reports, haven't done a ton on him, but can maybe you know maul you in the phone booth, but could be another Lake and Tomlinson type mm. where you just his feet can't really move that, as well as you want to. So. Um, are you kind of thinking the same way here? I'm thinking the same way. Honestly, if my, my analytical mind is telling me that Joe Dahl is going to end up starting at guard, probably. Um, I'm seeing Ode Abushi getting some buzz. Uh, you know, I, I think they signed him from Arizona last year. But my whole philosophy, I guess, on this is if you can name me, I think there are maybe three to six teams off the top of my head in the league that are five dudes deep on the offensive line. Usually you're going to find one or two spots where there's a middling player who has the ability to play above his skill level based on the players around him. And I'm not saying the Lions necessarily have that, but this has the makings of me to where I guess I can see this going from bad to worse if Halaputi Vitae is not very good. And by not very good, I mean worse than Rick Wagner. If 
Joe Dahl is the con- consistent starting guard and is just bad, and if Taylor Decker is just mediocre. And Ragnow, I mean, I like Ragnow a lot. I think Ragnow's great. I, I think he's going to be awesome at center. But I think this is a this has the makings of an offensive line that will end up around maybe 13th to 18th in the NFL. And as long as they don't make too many crucial mistakes, the wagon will keep rolling. I mean, I don't necessarily think – I know Glasgow left. I know Wagner's gone. I don't think that the offensive line is significantly worse than it was last year. Obviously, there's less experience. But I will say, man, I mean, maybe it's just me getting a little bit too happy about the reports out of camp. I think Jonah Jackson's going to come in and start, man. And I think mm-hmm. Jonah Jackson's going to kind of be an ass-kicker at guard. I really do. Like, I, I, I think that, again, and you've talked about it before, I don't really know how to analyze tape necessarily when, when we're looking at offensive linemen. The only position I really do know how to, like, somewhat analyze tape on is quarterback. So I guess I can't really give a full-fledged opinion. But I think Jonah Jackson is a guy who's going to come in. I think he's going to start week one. I think you're going to get Joe Dahl at left guard week one, Ragnow at center, Vitae and Decker. And you're going to have the 15th best offensive line in the league. And I think that's going to be good enough. I think that's going to be good enough. You're not going to be the frigging Cowboys or the, or the Colts where you're mauling people up front. But as long as, like we said, if Stafford can stay healthy and they can develop a little bit better of a running game with their myriad of running backs they have, this can be a team that really works off that offensive line relatively well. And honestly, I think probably if I had it my way, a little less pressure would be on the shoulders of Jonah Jackson. But I think this is a guy who's cut from a winning cloth. He's a competitive dude. And, you know, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to miss too much of a beat. I did want to ask you – I did want to ask you, you didn't bring up Ode Abushi, the signing from Arizona – um, what do you what do you make of that? Because I really haven't been hearing too much about him, but when I go on uh, our lads and look at the depth chart, he's slated as the starter at right guard. So I don't necessarily know too much about him. Um, I'm fairly sure he's like a relatively young guy. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he's, he's 29. I, I, he's a former tackle, so he's not super young. But I, I don't. I yeah. I just consider him. Um, I believe he was on the team last year as well. Mm. I'm I'm not completely positive, but. Um, yeah, I think he was on the team last year. Okay. And so I, well, then I, I kind of yeah. consider him as, as a backup, um, you know, if he makes a play for, for that other starting guard spot. I mean, I don't even really think, you know, left and right guard isn't, you know, too different. No. Um, I don't. I think they're they're just sticking Jonah Jackson at right guard there just because that's what he played in school. But it's going to kind of just come down to, you know, especially if a guy like Tyrell Crosby, you know, who, who played left tackle in college, is putting him on the, at the left guard spot just depending on the way sh- things shake out. But – the way I look at it is he's kind of lumped into that other group for competing for that other guard spot, and I'd be kind of disappointed if Jonah Jackson wasn't starting week one. Yeah, I'm with you there. The way I look at I'm with it. you yeah. there. Um, let's go. Let's go to the running backs just because that you know leads nicely from from the offensive line, and we we started talking a little bit about DeAndre Swift as well as Carryon Johnson earlier, and to me, man, like I agree with you about all the things about just drafting another running back in the second round. It's just like, man, really another, you know, draft pick on these positions that, I mean, once these guys even get past the age of like 25, the, you know, the odd, the things of them, you know, being productive mm-hmm. is not really there. Um, so with that said, DeAndre Swift, I, unlike you, he was my number one running back in the draft. I just thought his ability to, Make something out of nothing uh, was pretty uh, pretty amazing, which is something you have to do a lot <laughs> in Detroit if I've uh, watched this team over the past few years. 
Um, and, you know, he also had a lot of moments at Georgia, specifically I remember the Kentucky game where it just it was pouring rain. And I, I firmly believe if he was not the running back that day that they would not have won that game. Mm. So, I mean, he has moments where he kind of puts the team on his back uh, and, 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 you know, really, you know, carried Georgia to a win in that one. So I, I like him, you know, in that spot. And he's, you know, one of the more sure-handed pass catchers uh, in the draft as well and definitely the most um, trustworthy pass catcher on this offense. Obviously, you know, we can talk all day about whether or not that should have been the pick or position-wise. Uh both of us really were big Yeter Gross Models fans, but that's in the past, and, and Swift is on the team, and I expect him in. I expect him to get the the majority of the carries. Honestly, I um, I agree. I'm with you, know, and that's I, that's what I hope the case is. I think Carry On Johnson can be a great one-two punch. Uh, I think that Carry On Johnson can fill in nicely if, if Swift goes down, but I expect Swift to be kind of the workhorse for this for this team, and then. You know, you bring in a guy like Bo Scarborough at the end of last year who was extremely effective, and I hope that, you know, he sticks on this roster. I know he doesn't provide a ton of uh, special teams value, but again, with the roster expanding to 55 spots this year and with the way he performed at the end of the year. Um, and, and also the NFL kind of seeing a slight move uh, to these bigger power backs with guys like Derrick Henry and A.J. Dillon as, as more teams go with, you know, nickel-based defenses, I think, is, is an advantage to have, a, you know, a big running back like that, even if it's just for, for the goal line, man. Put Bo Scarborough in there and see what he yeah. can do. Um, obviously, you have Ty Johnson, who was a six-round pick last year, who didn't do a ton during the regular season, but then I think that kind of made us more and more confused about what the exactly the idea was with picking Jason Huntley in the fifth round, too. Um, that was kind of another draft head-scratcher. I mean, Huntley projects more in obviously I don't want to toss around the name of theoretic lightly because he was a great effective out of the backfield guy but I think that's more of his role as maybe a pass catching running back who can maybe break out into the slot run you know screens on on certain plays but um you know not too sure about what his role is and then you know another guy that's a premier pass catcher I guess is Jonathan Williams from he was from Washington State if I remember correctly Hmm. Uh, a couple years ago, he was a, a recent signing. No, Arkansas. Uh, I'm sorry, Arkansas. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right. I'm thinking about a different guy then. I don't know. Uh, he was a guy they recently signed. I'm not sure about his his chances of making the roster, but you know, if Carrion can stay healthy and you know, and Swift provides a little bit of bump for this team, man, they have pretty decent running backs at least on paper. You never know how it's going to work out. You know, in 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 game, but I I think that this is a pretty solid running back room. I think and it's, it should be because yeah. you have two second round picks there. But I think it's a great running back room. It comes down to carry on's health, in my opinion. Um, love Scarborough as the third back. Um, so it's like yeah, like you said, we could talk all day about where Swift was drafted and why it is fitting or not fitting. But at the end of the day, you have to accept that he was drafted there, and then look at the the, the running back room as it is and. I think DeAndre Swift is, should be getting 60 to 65% of the reps at running back this year. And I think Kerryon Johnson will be absolutely a great complimentary player. And then Scarborough as a goal line situation, red zone power running back. Um, I do want to say, though, I, I have to give, I have to shed a little bit of, of, of dissent on Ty Johnson, Jason Huntley, just burning these fifth, sixth round picks on guys who probably won't be on the roster in one to three years. You know, I just don't necessarily think it's a great way of, of, of running your organization. But 
At the same time, like you said, I don't really have much to disagree with. I think this is a great running back room. Um, DeAndre Swift is my fourth-ranked running back in this year's draft class, and I still really think the world of him. I think he's a really good football player. I think he's going to supply. Well, it was a strong running back class. Very strong class, yeah. Yeah. But but I do still think the world of him. I think he's going to supply something to this offense that it hasn't seen before in someone where he is absolutely electric, like I said, in the flat, catching balls out of the backfield, but also can run between the tackles, can make a lot of people miss in a way that Carrion Johnson and Bo Scarborough can't, and can be an extremely effective player that you can rely on offensively um, and maybe even turn to a star. I think this is a guy who can turn into a star from the running back position. So I think that this is one of the stronger groups on this Lions football team, and I'm really excited, honestly, to see how Bevel works all these guys into the offense and kind of what their roles are moving forward. But I do want to say and underline that I expect DeAndre Swift to have a very significant role in this offense right off the bat year one. We're reading articles about Dave Burkett saying that he's going to have a Kamara role where he gets four to six catches a game and maybe eight to 12 touches out of the backfield a game. I think that's perfect. And I think carry on. And I think Stafford that would love well. That. Yeah, absolutely. I think it would take a lot of pressure off Stafford. And like we said, this offensive line too. I mean, when you're flinging the ball out, of the, out to the running back, that helps this offensive line a lot. If they're, like I said, a middling group, it really does um, work well with the offensive line to have a running back like DeAndre Swift who can kind of fling out into the flat and make people miss for five or six yards on a play that, you know, last year would have been either a sack or maybe a two-yard game giving it to carry on or, or Scarborough out of, in the flat. So um, I, I understand why they brought him in, and I'm really, like I said, the bar is set pretty high, high for this guy. So I'm excited to see him come in and, you know, take on a pretty significant role year one out of the backfield. And just two final remarks, I guess, on the, this running back room before we move on. I think, too, if you maybe just take, like, the, the best possible uh, result, if on Johnson and DeAndre Swift are healthy for, you know, all 16, 16 games for the whole season, these are both guys who you can put in the game and the defense doesn't necessarily know if mm. it's a run or a pass play, mm-hmm. right? They're both guys with pass pro ability, both guys with catching ability. Swift probably better than Carrion, but it's you still can't cut it out. You know, Carrion's done plenty of screen, you know, done plenty of work in the screen game as well. So, you know, that's a situation where you still have two guys who can are, are versatile players, and you're not necessarily tipping your hand no matter what you do. And to to go back to Bevel's history, he was in uh, Minnesota when they had Adrian Peterson. He was in Seattle when they had Marshawn Lynch. Mm-hmm. So part of me wants to project and say that DeAndre Swift was kind of a Bevel, one of Bevel's boys yeah. in the draft where he said, you know, not to say that DeAndre Swift is going to be as good as Adrian Peterson or even Marshawn Lynch, but a guy where Bevel went, I really like this dude. When I've had potent offenses, I have had a bell cow back. I know I inherited, I inherited carry on. I see what he has, but I really love this Swift kid. And, you know, I kind of see that as, mm-hmm. you know, maybe just Quinn tossing a toy to Bevel and, and seeing what he can do with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you may be right on base with that. Um, let's go to tight end where another interesting conversation is to be had about TJ Hawkinson, man. And as we jump into year two, Hawkinson apparently, you know, he, he worked out a lot in the offseason, worked with Kittle a little bit as well as fellow Iowa guy. And this, I mean... From where he was picked, man, and especially considering how much we were on Bush and, and Oliver. It's bad, dude. Right after There's him. no two ways it's, it's about bad, it. It's bad. There's no two he's, ways But he's got to be good here. Yeah. He's got to be good. Well, when you want to— I mean, we, yeah. we've, we beat the Bush and Oliver thing. Yeah. You know, too— we, we, Yeah, dead, I don't want to de- beat a dead but, horse. I'm not going to 
the only way I'll underline everything I've said about the only way TJ Hawkinson can justify the pick as being a top three tight end in the league, which is not going to happen. Um, and I'm fine with that. We're moving forward. We're moving onward and upward. I, you know, I don't think it's the team is necessarily like you know doomed because of it. But we're talking about you know he's not fully healthy yet, and you know you got Jesse Dan- James. You you signed the UDFA and Hunter Bryant that I know Tommy likes a lot. I don't know how much reps he's going to get. Maybe he might not even make the team. I'm not sure. But Hawkinson's a guy where what I'm looking for out of Hawkinson this year when he's healthy and if he's healthy, is just reliability. I just want a reliable target. I want a guy that I can depend on. I want a guy who's going to get a little bit of yak. I want him to be a decent red zone target. I want him to be able to block and supplement this mediocre offensive line. And that's really all I'm looking for because they have a little bit of depth there. They've got Jesse James. They've paid him a lot of money. And, you know, between Isaac Nada and Hunter Bryant, one of those guys is going to be able to be kind of a supplemental third tight end where they can rotate in and and, and they can make plays from time to time. So I think that... The tight end room, obviously, you know, it's <laughs> it's a little bit overcast, overcasted by the fact that T.J. Hawkinson was the eighth frigging pick in the draft last year. But at the same time, I think this is a solid tight end room. Hawkinson has talent. And, you know, the expectations are going to be pretty high for him this year. They're going to be pretty high for him this year. But I'm just going to try to tamper them a little bit and say I want reliability I want third down conversions to Hawkinson. I want red zone conversions from Hawkinson, and I want him to be able to block. That's what I want. So there's not much more to say about that. Again, it's like almost as bad as the Hawkinson draft pick is, is signing Jesse James. Like it's just like oh my such god, head scratch. I was literally just about to get into this, man. It, I mean, it, this is something I think you wouldn't hear on 97.1, yeah. man. But God, the the way that this was managed, where you sign Jesse James to a decent deal, mm-hmm. right? And then you draft Hawkinson as well, and Jesse James does nothing. Yet some for just because you paid him, you have to keep Jesse James, and you can't keep Logan Thomas. It's, That's yeah. what pisses me off about this. And now Logan Thomas is starting in Washington. And and yeah, and now Logan Thomas is in Washington. I mean, that dude had freaking moments, man. Like, and they just wouldn't give him his, you know, his due for whatever reason. Just. Uh, the Jesse James thing is is beyond infuriating for me, mainly just because of the Hawkinson pick, right? I mean, if you if you sign Jesse James, like obviously we're not going to expect more than you know 400 yards and maybe a couple touchdowns. Like that's just you're just signing a tight end who can kind of block and then make a few plays in the passing game. But then to to kind of sign him and get Hawkinson and then bring in a guy like Logan Thomas who has a ton of upside, like why the heck? Don't you just have Hawkinson as your t- starting tight end since you picked him freaking ninth overall? And then keep Logan Thomas in your back pocket as a guy like, hey, I want to just keep developing this yep. guy because he is athletic and shows promise. Yeah. And then you can keep Nada. I mean, I, I would bet my entire bank account, which is you know under $2,000, <laughs> that Isaac, Isaac Nada and Jesse James can do the same freaking thing. Yeah. No, Jesse James has not proven at any point I mean, I, in his career, you know, that he's worth the money that was spent on him. And that's so, yet another kind of Quinn head scratcher where, you know, I'm sure our I fans understood are the signing of, with with the with the context of, hey, we're not gonna draft Hawkinson. Because it's like, mm-hmm. all right, let's just throw money at this position and kind of plug a hole. Stafford's never really used the tight ends that much anyways, even when he's had them. Let's just get Jason James in here to kind of fix this because yeah. it was a disaster 
when Ebron was there and everything. It, whatever. Yeah. It's, whatever. It's just it's just annoying. And basically, TJ Hawkinson better freaking be a top ten tight end, or I'm gonna be pretty angry about how all of this shaped out. Especially considering how much uh, we love Devin Bush and how much we really really liked that Oliver. So yeah. Um, let's jump to the receivers where, frankly. Not much has changed since uh, since last season. You still have Kenny Galladay. You still have Marvin Jones. And you still have Danny Amendola uh, in the mix. Uh, Marvin Hall was a guy who was a nice surprise last year. He spent the preseason with the Bears and made a couple plays in preseason. And then resident Bears uh, guy there. Not yeah, a big exactly. Deal. Uh, not a big deal. You know, you know, worked in the industry. Press and, pass. You know, not a big deal. Yeah, press pass. <laughs> eh, you know, you know, Riley Ridley doesn't know the playbook. You know, I, I got that scoop. It, you know, it is what it is. Um, but you know, he, he kind of went down, uh, around the same time as Stafford, but he still, you know, made a lot of deep, deep plays, you know, drafting Quintus Cephas was a little bit of a head scratcher. I know, um, Okuda talked, uh, well about him, yeah. spoke, spoke highly of, uh, Quintus Cephas, but at the same time he ran a four seven yeah. and I was really looking for this team to add a deep threat like Darnell Mooney, who went to the bears. Mm. Uh, which was which was unfortunate, but I'm still kind of left with the same sentiment that I had last year, where you know Galladay I think has cemented himself by now as as a reliable number one receiver in the NFL. He doesn't quite get the reception numbers that the elite receivers do, uh, like DeAndre Hopkins and, and uh, you know Mike Thomas. Obviously, those guys are on the upper echelon, but I think Galladay had like something like 60, 63, 65 receptions last year, and. So I'm not sure if he's so much of the the possession receiver um, that that this team. Uh, I, he's I don't I just don't think he's ever going to be the 90, 90 catch guy. No, but he still is is largely effective. Galladay uh, isn't elite, and that's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yep. You know, it's- um, it, they're talking about a deal getting done with him, and I just I I honestly think I mean this is a hotter take, but I think Graham Glasgow was probably Quinn's best pick as a GM. Mm. Even more so than Kenny Galladay, which is what most people would say. I think Stafford's just kind of pinpoint accuracy and ability as a quarterback has a lot more to do with Galladay's success than people want to admit. Yeah, um, Galladay isn't really a separator. He's just really, really good at the 50-50 balls. And Stafford isn't really afraid to throw them because he believes in himself and also played with Calvin for a bunch of years. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Kenny, but to say that he's, you know, kind of a top 20 guy I think is a little bit of a stretch but um still obviously I mean back-to-back thousand yard seasons Marvin Jones a thousand yard season last year as well I mean these guys are are in um 2018 I mean these guys are great um you know not are just you know really really serviceable and Amendola can do stuff in the slide it's just a question kind of of depth I think when you look at the receiver room and here's the thing that you know I want to say and I love I, that's why I, I love doing these Lions previews is because I, I go backwards a lot. But T.J. Hawkinson being a top ten tight end in the league and being reliable can result in these two receivers taking so much pressure off of their shoulders. Because ultimately, I'm not going to even ascribe Danny Amendola to anything other than what he's been the past four years in the NFL, which is just a third to fourth receiver on the team. And he's a third here in Detroit. He can make a couple heady plays, get you a first down totally. here and there, but then you can't Obviously, bet on him to I'm play sure, more than 10 games. I'm sure he's great in the know? locker room too. You know, he's got yeah, he's, exactly. he's a patriot, he's got the experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
If Hawkinson can be a reliable target in the slot, it will be it will open up the outside for Marvin Jones and Kennedy Kenny Galladay to eat so much more. And I think that can also be a huge dynamic in this offense is how much pressure can TJ Hawkinson take off of the shoulders of Kenny Galladay? Because like we said, he's not elite. That's okay. He's a very, very good receiver. And when I say elite, I mean, like you said, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, um, you know, though the, the, I'm spacing, but those guys of the world. Even if you want to throw like the Amari Coopers of the world in there, and obviously Julio, and those guys are elite. Kenny Galladay isn't that. He's extremely good. Marvin Jones is very good. They've got a nice little stable of receivers there. If Hawkinson can supplement that in the slot, the passing game will improve insurmountably. And that's why a little bit more weight is on Hawkinson's shoulder, shoulders. But I don't feel bad about it because of where he was taken in the draft. And then you can have Amendola has that fourth pass catching option where he gets crucial third downs. He's gritty. He's a locker room presence. And, you know, he kind of rounds out that group of pass catchers on this Lions offense. So that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And then with the whole Cephas thing, I want to see how he looks game speed wise. Obviously, the 40 wasn't impressive. He was the best receiver in Wisconsin whenever, from the minute he stepped foot on campus. Um, you know, I'm a huge Peoples-Jones guy, so I'm not huge. I'm a pretty big Peoples-Jones guy, big enough to take him over Cephas. So I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how their career trajectories play out, you know, alongside each other because he was drafted before DPJ. But I think the pass-catching group on the outside on this team is good, not great. But they were good, not great last year. And this offense, like I, I threw out the stats early in the episode, this was a really good offense last year when Stafford was quarterbacking. So I don't really have too many doubts about this receiver group, even though it's not, you know, elite, quote-unquote. You know, so I still think they can make an impact offensively on the outside. Um, but again, Hawkinson can take a lot of, not only can he take a lot of pressure off the offensive line with his ability to come in and be a supplemental blocker, mm-hmm. he can take a lot of pressure off the receivers with his ability to come in and convert on third downs and be a reliable pass catcher in the slot. Yeah, and I think, Lee, you're just kind of touching on something that is kind of apparent throughout the theme of this offense is we believe in Bevel. Mm -hmm. There's guys at every single position that we think can be good NFL players. It's more just about everything kind of coming together as one and working off each other, right? If DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson can both stay healthy and be effective— That'll take pressure off of Stafford. If Hawkinson can, you know, come in and play well, that'll take pressure off the O line and the receivers, and it'll all kind of start clicking. And based on what we saw last year in the eight games that Stafford was there, um, you know, it, it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, obviously things change in the NFL, but you can expect that hopefully with everything still basically in place, that they can kind of pick up where they left off, maybe even do better just because of the second year. Yep. And hey, if Stafford goes down. Maybe Chase Daniel can can win you a couple games more so than David Blau and and Jeff Driscoll did. So uh, that pretty much wraps up the offense. And I think, Lee, you'll probably agree with this as well. Uh, In terms of what this team can do in 2020, the defense is where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. To uh, throw a little Detroit automotive (laughs) phrase out there. Love it, Clep. Motor City. Um, and I don't know, maybe you can kind of talk me off of uh, this ledge here, but um, I probably not. I was, I mean, I'm, I'm ready for Patricia to be gone. I, I was ready for him to be fired at the end of last year. To me, you're a defensive head coach and you've been here for two years. And 
I mean, I'll just throw some some team defense stats at you here, Lee. Uh, Lions, rush yards per game, 115.9. Bottom 10 in the NFL. Pass yards per game, uh, 284.4. That was worse than the NFL. Yards per game, 400.4. Second worst in the NFL. Uh, this was a horrible defense last year. And frankly, it was the reason that this team lost games. They gave up game-winning drives to guys like Dwayne Haskins. Mm. Uh, they gave they gave up game-winning drives seemingly every week to the Raiders, to the Giants, or not to the Giants, sorry, but I mean to the to the um, Packers in the, in the Monday night game. Uh, they suffered against quarterbacks like Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky. Uh, frankly, it was just it was just really disappointing, and I think. Uh, everything went wrong where we expected it to maybe go right on the defensive line. And then everything that could have gone wrong in terms of just the linebackers and coverage and the secondary really struggling kind of went wrong where it could have. And I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm not too confident in, in this unit uh, when it comes to this season. And I guess we can just start with the, with the defensive line. Um, you bring in Julian O'Quara in the draft, which I really like. Uh, he's a more of a speed rusher type with some strength, but I think it's a guy that the Lions didn't really have before, and I like his his addition. But then when you look at interior Danny Shelton, uh, you know guys like Nick Williams, who I'll talk about in a minute, uh, it's a little bit suspect. Trey Flowers really kind of came on once he got over his injury issues. I'm not too concerned about him. But then guys like Deshaun Hand and Austin Bryant, who Austin Bryant's on the pup right now. Deshaun Hand was injured all of last year, pretty much. Uh, guys who we expected to kind of take a step or contribute last year were really nowhere to be found. So um, overall, where do you kind of stand where this defensive line is at? I'm not confident, Clep. I'm not confident. Um, what I will say to push back, I guess, a little bit against what you were saying with the whole Patricia and the you talk about the Bears. I know you're a resident Bears guy. I'm bringing it up again. You talk about the Bears and their unwillingness to kind of rally as a defense because of the lackluster offense. I think you can kind of say similar things about the Lions. And I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this is a top 10 defense when Stafford is healthy. It's a, it's a mediocre defense that played terribly when they realized their season was over. And when, when, those, when the, the slaughter of the season happened, Chiefs, Packers, Vikings... 34 points to the Chiefs, 23 to the Packers, 42 to the Vikings. The season was over in, in, in a lot of their eyes, and I think that the defense kind of checked out to a certain extent. And I think when you get the clean slate and you get a healthy Stafford and you get a offense that is contributing at a high level, you're going to see a, a flip switch with this defense in Patricia's year three. And I'm not going to make any lofty predictions or expectations about this defense, but similar to the offensive line, if they can just save face, if they can just be okay and be average, and, and you know, you see some of the best teams in the league, like the Chiefs, for instance, who obviously they have a better defense than the Lions, but they don't have a defense that's stacked on every level that's going to, you know, maul you week, week in and week out. They play off of their offense. And if the Lions' defense can find that identity with, identity with Again, a lot of youth on this defense, too. There's really a lot of youth. There's a lot of building to, be, to, to happen on this defense in the secondary. Tracy Walker, obviously Okuda coming in. And then you've got some young linebackers. You've got some a fairly young players on the defensive line. 
I think this is a team that can rally and with the tutelage of Patricia, for whatever that means anymore, can end up being a team that can being a defense defensive unit that can supplement the offense to the extent where they can produce winning winning a winning season. That's honestly all I'm looking for. And I don't know Corey Undlin. I don't, you know, I'm not familiar with his resume necessarily as a coach. What I've read about him is that he's a great players coach and that he rallies groups. He gets players to come together. He gets them to find an identity and he gets them to kind of play rally football, which is what I'm totally bought in for. I think that this is a secondary that is good. I think this is a good secondary. I think there are good young players in the secondary. I think Justin Coleman was a good signing. I think Desmond Trufant was a solid signing. I think the safeties are solid. I think the linebackers and the defensive line are a huge question mark. I'm a little bit more concerned about the linebackers than I am the defensive line. But to get into the defensive line a little bit, I think this is a group that needs to kind of play off of Trey Flowers, who's kind of the stud in that group. Obviously, Romeo Aquara isn't a world beater. They, they drafted his brother. I think there's going to be a nice little rotation with those guys. Um, Austin Bryant, like you said, is injured. And the presence on the inside of the defensive line concerns me, which is kind of why I wanted to bounce some questions about Nick Williams off of you. But, you know, I don't think, you know, we've looked, I've looked over every roster in the NFL at this point, previewing these teams. I don't think you can point at this defensive line and say, that's going to be the Achilles heel for this team. That's going to destroy the Detroit Lions. I don't think that, that this is necessarily a situation where you can say that. Um, that being said, I do think that this is a middling group and a group that needs to improve in order to get playoff results. Plain and simple. I think this is a group that needs to improve to get playoff results. And whether or not we see that improvement is going to you know, consist on Deshaun Hand stepping up, on Nick Williams stepping up, on Trey Flowers not having a slow start, on signings like Danny Shelton coming in and, you know, being able to supplement those guys and, 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 and play, you know, well round, a well-rounded game. Because we saw a lot of inconsistencies last year on the defense, defensive side of the ball. And ultimately, I think that, sure, maybe I'm shifting too much of the blame onto the fact that the team, the outlook of the team after the, you know, after week seven wasn't great. But with the clean slate, the new season, the two years of tutelage under Patricia, him coming into his third year, everyone and their mother knows that this is a do-or-die year for Patricia. If they don't impress their fan base this year, he will be fired. Um, I think they're going to rally. That's all I can really say in terms of the optimistic side of it. I think that they're going to rally. I think this is a defense that Corey Unlin's going to have an impact on, and that's honestly all we can really hope for. I mean... Julian Okwara, I'm hoping for big things from Okwara as a rookie. I'm, I really am. Lee, you're really pulling at my uh, South Carolina heartstrings there with that, That hey, man, the season was lost. That's why Brian Edwards and, and Javon Kinlaw can be forgiven for some of their misfortunes yeah. on tape. So you're, you're really trying to get me there as far as this defense goes with the second half of the season. Um, hey, man, but let's, you know, let's, let's say we end the chapter on my, my Bears insiderdom. Mm. And you, you know, let's let's have a little Nick Williams let's, conversation. Man, so, what do you what do you want to say? I just let's, let's, I was just let's reading about. Hey, last lastly, before I close this book, Cordell Patterson came out today and said Trubisky looks like a whole new quarterback. There's something in his eyes. All right, that's a load of crap. There's something in and, his eyes. Uh, so it sounds so, like a love know, story to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
must have uh, Trubisky must have uploaded uploaded from the Camry. Yeah. And uh, got himself a new whip, and uh, Cordell Patterson's eyeing that thing in the parking lot, saying, "Hey, pick me up in that after eight. Dude, God Take bless Cordell Patterson. He just wants so, he just wants a playoff run, man. He just wants yeah. something. But but hey, let's have a little Nick Williams conversation. What do you want to know? I'm reading about this Nick Williams guy, and and you know. Word on the street is that he was a pop player for the Bears last year. Um, I know he's, he's no spring chicken. He's 30 years old, but he came in and he really did his job and then some for the Bears last year, and that's why he got signed. And I'm kind of hoping for him to come in and, and maybe, you know, give a little bit of a boost to this Detroit Lions team and, and, and be not a guy who's going to make too many wow plays, but just a guy who does his job and kind of, you know, has that Detroit ethos about him, you know, putting on the uh, – taking that – pale bucket to work and, and, and putting on the hard hat and, and getting after it, man. Yeah, I mean, Nick Williams, he's an interesting story because uh, he's a guy who is 30 years old now and basically had his breakout season when he was 29 with the Bears last year. Mm. Um, he had six sacks last year, and those were the first six sacks of his career. Um, he had a really great game, I remember, early on in the season against the Vikings. He had two sacks. Um, he's a guy who really just came out of nowhere, spent some time with Kansas City, spent some time with Miami, just kind of on practice squads, bopping around. He played more snaps last year than he had in his entire career. Um, and the Lions kind of just took a chance on him in free agency. Um, he's a dude who on the interior has, I, you know, as he showed last year, some pass rush ability as well as, you know, an ability to, to stop the run. I, I liked him a lot when I, I remember like, with the Bears, I was like, who is this guy? And I looked him up, and he had never played before. Mm. And he had even been with the Bears in 2018, was it he the, played uh, maybe two games. Was it the Akeem so, Hicks, like, injury that, so, that kind of brought him? Yeah, I mean, he did. But the only other thing to say with that is he did a lot of his production early on in the season. This was kind of going to be to my butt, this, in there. Okay. You know, he did a lot of his production early on in the year, um, especially in the pass rushing department when Akeem Hicks was healthy. Um, and the Lions obviously do not have an Akeem Hicks level player uh, on their roster that can take away some of the attention uh, from Nick Williams, especially considering other guys on that roster like Khalil Mack, who also you know take attention from the offensive line. But hey, man, this is a guy who you know had his first real playing chance with the Bears last year and and did wonders with it, and now he has his first kind of. You know, vote of confidence from a team contract-wise to say, hey, come here, come here, and you know, make an impact. Yeah. So I'm excited about him, man. I mean, he was a really nice player. Uh, you know, the the production towards the end of the year tailed off for him a little bit, but man, six sacks from the interior is probably more than Ashawn ever did, right? <laughs> so, you know, but here's a guy who's 30 years old and still kind of feels like he's entering his prime, and you know, I'm just excited for the man to get an opportunity. Well, I'm good to hear. I'm glad to hear that, um, and. You know, it's always interesting to see a guy who breaks out that late in his career to see maybe if he can tally on a couple of years after that. But, I mean, that really is where, when we talk about the defensive line, the ends are fine, in my opinion. That really is where the con- the bulk of the concern is for me is on the inside. When I'm looking over our lads right now, you've got Kevin Strong Jr. slated as one of the starting defensive tackles. And, you know, I know that they've got a fairly multiple defense and they're going to do some interesting things. But, you know, Danny Shelton has is, is never been a world beater. I know he's a guy who played some good football for the Browns, played some good football for the Patriots, but kind of a bit of a journeyman at this point, not really someone who 
you necessarily can rely on to be a consistent presence on the inside. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's some concerns, you know, on the on the interior of the defensive line that maybe Nicholas Williams isn't ready necessarily to to take the bulk of those concerns on his shoulders. But um, yeah, I mean, Lee, I'll be honest, man. The, my hopes for this defensive line is that obviously Trey Flowers is a starter, and Danny Shelton is a starter, mm-hmm. and then we see Nick Williams take over that other interior defensive line spot. Okay, and then. I hope that Deshaun Hand stays healthy. It can also provide some rush from that interior as well as a three technique, right? Mm-hmm. And then Austin Bryant on the pup right now. Hopefully he can – I mean, this is essentially his rookie season. I just want him to provide something. Um, Romeo Quarta has been, you know, solid for, you know, what, two years now in Detroit? Yep. Um, and then I see as we kind of maybe just can can transition transition this conversation to the linebacking group, you know, I see Jamie Collins taking over that Devon Kennard role as, as a pure outside backer who does a little rushing, does a little coverage, but maybe more sort of rushing. I mean, Devon Kennard was a seven-sack guy per year with the Lions, so hoping Collins can provide that. But the thing is, man, I look at this linebacker group, and it's like we're going to have the same conversation that we had last year yeah. where it's Jared Davis is back, Christian Jones is back, Jelani Tavai is back. They signed Reggie Ragland, who's another, you know, thumper but can't cover in pass coverage. No, of course, yeah. And then, you know, Jamie Collins maybe hasn't had some of the, you know, recent seasons that he had early on in his career, but that's a guy who has some athleticism, so it's like maybe I want that guy to be more off the ball and, and covering tight ends yep. and, and in the passing game because the recipe of, hey, let's see our secondary maybe take more of the coverage responsibilities and have our linebackers just be run supporters – uh, did not work last year. Absolutely, um, and they like, kind of find like, themselves. Like we tried to talk about so they kind of find themselves in this no man land, as I mentioned before, where it's like they're you're blitzing the least amount in the NFL, but le- but yet your linebackers can't cover. It's like where necessarily. Yeah. So what the hell is going on? What's going yeah, on? It's yeah. Crazy. That's why I'm kind of saying why well, we need guys like Jalen Reeves, Maven to step up. I don't even know. I don't have many good things to say about Jelani Tavai, man. I really don't. I just think that he's kind of a guy who is clearly overdrafted and, you know, he's a thumper who can make a, occasionally make a big play or two, but the, the bulk of the, of the pass coverage is going to be on the shoulders of the secondary here, which we'll get into in a minute. And I will say that even after admitting that this defensive line is mediocre to bad, this linebacker group is the worst group position group on this team. Um, and, you know, unless Gerard Davis went into some Captain America, you know, time portal, body portal, and he can start covering tight ends to, to, to an extent that we haven't seen him been able to do before, this is going to be a line. I'm off Jared Davis. Yeah. I'm done. It's just going to be. I don't be, know about you. I'm just done. I, anything that I see, it's like, oh, he's looking good in practice. This is Jared Davis's breakout year. Yeah. The same issues from college has followed him to the NFL. Mm-hmm. He has all the athletic prowess in the world, but can't put it together on the football field instinctually. He just runs straight. Occasionally he has a great blitz, can blow up a running back, tackle quarterback, do whatever, but he's not an all around backer. No. And here's the thing, right? Jelani Tavai overdrafted. We've said that from the beginning with this guy. Yeah. But God, Jared Davis. Damn it, Clark, Jared, why didn't they draft fucking Devin Bush, dude? 
This is where I get frustrated. If, if, if Jared Davis is... was an all... If, if, here's the thing. If Jared Davis was a great all-around backer, we wouldn't care so much about Jelani Tavai, but we're sitting here with two linebackers who maybe would be Hall of Famers in the 1960s, yeah. but it's 2020 now, man. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's beyond frustrating. I mean, even saw... Christian Jones is horrible. Christian Jones horrible. is like not And even, they yeah. paid him a ridiculous contract. And Jalen Reeves, David, I know you were shouting him out earlier in the podcast, but man, that guy no, no. has it's, been here for it, a the while. The bulk of his impressive plays have been he in the seems preseason. seems one dimensional, and yeah. it's like they haven't even really given him a shot. And now that there's no preseason, it's like I don't even know what this guy's doing. And, and even a guy like Miles Kilbrew, man, who is supposed to kind of be that tweener, has never really been that guy either. So I mean, why it's just not? still frustrating because we're talking about the same issues that we were last year, and it killed this team. I know free agency is obviously gone and dead, but Corey Littleton's out there. Yep. There are guys out there that could make such a big impact on this team and really help this team. There's and guys in like the draft. They we, didn't we maybe draft a linebacker. We maybe witnessing the, line, the Lions banging their head against the same wall defensively at the linebacker position that they've kind of been banging their head against the past few seasons. And I'm with you kind of. I mean, maybe... Draw Davis obviously makes some spectacular plays, like you said, a guy who would fit right in in the 60s and 70s as just kind of a hard-nosed, hard-hitting slobber knocker. The frustrating, thing about, the, the frustrating thing about Davis is that he fits all the athletic profiles that you want of a modern-day linebacker. He yeah. just can't put it together on the football field. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's another thing I think we'll get to with, with Will Harris to me that was frustrating was that that was a guy who's, what, he's six foot two six one two fifteen mm-hmm. elite athleticism and just couldn't put it together last year obviously he was a rookie and we'll get into that when we talk about the defensive backs but it's just like at some point man like i know this guy's competitive as heck i know he he loves the game and everything but uh it's a first round pick that's frankly a bust yeah. in my opinion yeah no it's a first round pick that's putting third round production on the field and um if that you know, I got to give a quick shout out to my boy Jason Cabinda from Penn State, uh, former Raider. I mean, this is a guy who I loved in college, but again, this guy wouldn't know it. This guy probably would get burned in the BFL, man. I mean, these are guys who cannot cover. They cannot cover. But I mean, and it's another thing where you know we talked about the Quinn, Bob Quinn's leash being shortened. Like, here's the same group as last year that struggled last year that we said before the season started would struggle and you don't, haven't done anything really to change it. Yep. So we can move uh, on, man. I, I will yeah. ultimately, and I'm sure you're agreeing with me here, underline this linebacker group by saying there's not too much to be excited about here. And I think we're kind of going to see more of the same. And ultimately we can close our eyes and hope for the magic fairy dust that is Matt Patricia's yeah. prowess as a defensive mastermind. Yeah, man, and that's to, the thing. Last year we were talking about yeah. the genius, the yeah. genius line that was dropped by Mike Daniels, and we were like, I guess he's going to put it together. And it's just for me. I know you maybe have a little more faith than I do, but it's just yeah. No, I definitely man. do, but I'll I'll draw the line um, at a certain point. Let, you know? Let's let's talk a little bit more um, positively because we get to the secondary and. Um, I don't want to understate the departure of Darius Slay because I think Darius Slay is underrated just in terms of NFL corners in general. Um, he's a great player. I uh, really improved his ball skills over the last three seasons as well. Um, I would say he's a top 10 corner in the NFL, and he's no longer on the team, which hurts. It, it really hurts this team. I was in favor of 
re-signing him for whatever he really wanted. Uh, the team went in another direction. I mean, I'll push to, back. To quick, uh, I'm, I'm yeah, in disagreement. I mean, I mean just to, just yeah, as quickly ahead. though, just to quickly though, do a little bit of criticism, I guess. Like when you think about the Patriot way, like letting star players go, you would maybe let my boy Amani Oruarie step up into that starting spot, and then you draft a guy like Okuda instead of an Isaiah Simmons type. That's where I kind of get a little bit frustrated with that departure because I just feel like you let Slay go and Akuda comes back. I know Slay had some injury history and everything. I don't. You know, you, you can talk about that in a minute, Lee. But I, I still do see a lot of positives in the secondary. Um, Quandre Diggs was was my man. I love I loved Quandre Diggs, uh, and I'm disappointed that he's no longer on the team. But I think you look at Desmond Trufant. Obviously, a couple down years in Atlanta, but I think some of that can be attributed just to Dan Quinn and the disaster that that Falcons defense has been for a little bit. Deron Harmon coming over from New England. He, he's been a really just a solid player for them for a little bit while. Tracy Walker has been a really nice draft pick from Quinn, even though I questioned it at the time just in terms of position. Justin Coleman was a good signing. Early on in the season, he was a little bit better than he was later. There were some injury stuff there as well. And then... Okuda, you just expect to, to come in and start, but uh, Lee, I guess, you know, talk about Slay and where you're at with the secondary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I understand why they let Slay walk, and I mean, the, that, that it just justifies the drafting of Okuda for me. Um, I would say that I'm more than willing to accept the fact that I have higher expectations for Desmond Trufant than your average guy, your average Lions fan, your average Falcons fan, you name it. I just think that Desmond Trufant's going to come in and have a a semi, you know, career resurgence here in Detroit. I think that they're putting a little bit of weight on his shoulders that he kind of needs to, to to have that wake up call. He's not too old, you know. He's he's still 29, so I think he's got a few years yet years left of being a spry defender here in the league. And you know, I think this is a secondary group that's rounding out to be a pretty solid group. I mean, listen, <laughs> I would have drafted Isaiah Simmons. I really would have. Probably all things said and done. If I'm looking let me, at this, let me second that. Let me put that on. Uh, yeah. on the airwaves. Let's put that on the airwaves. I mean, when yep. we're looking up and down this offensive, or sorry, this defensive, uh, you know, depth chart, I would have drafted Isaiah Simmons probably. Nothing against Jeff Okuda. They got Jeff Okuda. Similar to the Swift situation, you got to accept the, the pick they made. And, and we both liked Okuda a lot. I like Okuda a lot, but he, I, the, he was my number one corner. I think he was. He was mine before, too. Right? It's yep. it's we both love Gladney though too. I want to put that in as an asterisk. You know, the the secondary is better for having drafted Akuda, obviously, and this is a well-rounded secondary. I mean, you're seeing Deron Harmon is the worst player in the secondary, I think, right now, and he's a guy who is a solid guy who's not going to make too many huge plays, but he's a system player who's familiar with Patricia and is going to come in and be able to kind of be a bookend to this secondary. Tracy Walker's your playmaker. You have... Two reliable corners in Trufant and Okuda. I know Okuda's a first-year guy, but still, you gotta you got to give credit where it's due, having been the third pick in the draft. And then your boy Amani Oyuarie coming in as the third corner. I think there's stuff to prove there with Oyuarie, and I think that he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder for having been drafted as late as he was after a lot of buzz circul- circulating around his name come draft time. And Justin Coleman as well. I mean, this is a secondary that I think is worth its salt on the depth chart, and ultimately could be a top 10 secondary in the league and really is by far the best position group on this defense. So 
the the pass defense isn't necessarily the concern here. I mean, the defensive line isn't doing them too many favors in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback by the looks of it. But this is a secondary that's going to be able to stand up for itself and has some real NFL talent, uh, you know, in, you know, in, in in the barracks here. So I'm looking forward to watch watching the rotation here. I like Will Harris. I don't love him. I think he's a good rotational player. I like Jerron Curse. Don't love him. I mean, I love him in Madden when I'm replacing. Yeah, baby. When I'm replacing <laughs> Anthony Sandejo with the Vikings in Madden 18 or whatever it was, the last good one. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is the best position, positional group on the defense, and I think this is where the bulk of the leadership is going to come from with guys like Jerron Harmon, with guys like Justin Coleman, Desmond Trufant. I think you're going to see you're kind of seeing the Lions build their defense kind of from the top down as opposed to the traditional way of building it from the inside up. Um, and, you know, time will tell whether or not that's a, uh, you know, reputable strategy. But ultimately, I think that this is a secondary group that could play its way into the top 10 in the NFL. I really do. And we'll see what happens with Trufant. I think a lot of weight is on his shoulders, ultimately probably being the number one corner on this team. Um, you know, when you when you uh, focus Coleman into that nickel position. Um, but, you know, I'm not really sweating over that. I'm, I'm, there, I guess I'll put it this way. I'm sweating over many more things on this defense than Desmond Trufant being the number one corner, um, especially when you've got a supplemental guy like Okuda, even though with his youth and inexperience, just off sheer talent, being the number two corner to help Trufant out there. Um, so I, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about in the secondary, and that's kind of where I'll end my spiel here is, is is saying that I think this is kind of going to be the positional group that carries the defense this year. I think when you talk about the defensive backs as well, too, a lot lies what goes on up front. And, I mean, last year you saw this team get 27 sacks, which was one of the worst in the NFL. The pass rush was non-existent. And at the end of the day, wide receivers and tight ends are really good in this league, too. So, you can't cover them for more than four or five seconds. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot relies on this, just like we said with the offense, with all these things coming together to create a unit. You've got this defense, and I think the defensive line needs to improve as well before this defensive backfield gets uh, improved as well. And Lee, you know, not to put you too much on the spot, I know, you know, way early in this podcast, I said Amani Oruaye is my guy. He's my BJP. Lion, he's the dude who I think can really make that next step this year. Amani, you're my boy. Come on through for me, man. I, I really want you to be a starter, man. But let me just put you on the spot. I know it's not exactly apples to apples with the uh, contract situation, but the Lions do still have some cap space and stuff. So let me give it a little would you rather. A little would you rather for you over oh, yeah. here. Would you rather have Graham Glasgow still on this offensive line and Amani Oruare slated as that number two corner opposite Jeff Okuda? Or would you rather have, you know, the questions that guard that we talked about earlier and Trufant still slated in that spot, whereas Amani is kind of on the outskirts as a, as a backup corner? I'd go with the latter, man. I'd go with Trufant. I really would because okay, interesting. I ultimately— I mean, I would, I would lean the other direction. Yeah. Hey. Hey, man, that's why we're potting here. I ultimately think that— the drafting of DeAndre Swift and the emergence of TJ Hawkinson in his second year in the league will supplement the loss of Graham Glasgow better than Jeff Okuda solely in Amani Uyarare 
having the weight of being 22 and 24 or 23 and 24, whatever they are, being the number one and two corners here in Detroit um, on the outside. I just think that the signing of Trufant, his experience, his leadership, him having been, I don't know if he was a Pro Bowl player, but in that conversation, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a Pro Bowl player in his prime. Coming in, the leadership, the tutelage with Jeff Okuda, having Jeff Okuda kind of ease his way into that CB2 role and not having to play the nickel at all, and then Oyuarie at 23 or whatever he is being kind of a rotational corner on the defensive side of the ball, I think that gives the secondary a lot more ability than keeping Glasgow and forcing those two young guys to have the responsibility of week in and week out guarding some of the best players in the league um, at the age and the experience they have in the league. So, sure, maybe I'll be quoted saying this and sound like a goof down the line, but I think that with the signing of Vitae and the drafting of the two guards that they got, I, I like the moves they made bringing Trufon in, and I think that it's safe to say out of our whole BJP staff, I'm probably the highest on Desmond Trufant. I really like him, dude. I really think that a lot of the his mishaps um, over the past few years are, are kind of just because of the, the situation in Atlanta. And obviously, I'm not trying to blame it all on the situation, but I think the clean slate is going to do a lot for him. The leadership role is going to do a lot for him. And I think he's going to come in and really produce um, right off the bat for this Lions team. Yeah, and... Um... Just as your producer, Trufant has made one Pro Bowl. One, okay. Go. He's got, he got there a Pro Bowl, yeah. No, no, Trufant's a great player. I mean, he, uh, just as a little research of him in general, I mean, he is he is going to be 30 years old in, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, last year he, he only played nine games and still had four picks, right? And I think he did struggle a little bit with the transition of Dan Quinn coming in there as head coach, but... I see what you're saying. I still would honestly prefer having Glasgow on that line and just being like, hey... Glasgow, Vitae, you know, Ragnow, yeah, Decker, totally, and and then you know having. I think um, part of that Jonah is you Jackson putting blind other faith starting, into Oru guy. too. Though. But I, I'm a big Oruarie guy, yeah. so you know that goes that goes hand in hand. But yeah, you know that's a that's a fair uh, that's a fair thing to say. I think that's so, a great question too, and and I'm I'm interested to kind of revisit that in a few months and kind of just exactly. see where Amani is because listen, I'm not going to rule out Amani Oruarie being better than people think and really stepping in and being a really good supplemental third corner for this team on the outside, and maybe even stepping in and getting starting reps this year. But at the same time, I like what this secondary looks like right now. I like the balance of youth, talent, and experience. And I think that this is going to be the group that carries this defense, like I said. Um, And just before we kind of get into this schedule talk, you had talked about Julian Aquara being someone Mm -hmm. you're looking for on the defensive line. Maybe just because it's COVID and also because they didn't do a ton of acquire work uh, in terms of tape, focused more on guys like Yeter Grossmatos on, on the edge and Caleb on chasing. What are your expectations for Julian Aquara in, in 2020? Man, that's a tough question. I mean, my expectations, I guess, to put it plainly, is for him to be the third best pass rusher on this team without question. And for him to make an impact year one as a rotational guy. I don't know if I necessarily can throw stats out at you right off the bat, but I want him to come in to play to, to play physical, to play hard, and to make an impact immediately. 
um, as the third pass rusher because we see Austin Bryant on the pup. I know what Trey Flowers can do. I know what his brother Romeo can do. And I'm looking for him to maybe at least show me something to be hopeful for down the line where it's like, this guy's going to be an ass kicker in a couple of years. He's got a high motor. He's physical. He gets after the quarterback. He's a good pass rusher. He plays his responsibilities. And he's worth his salt in the third round. That's that's really all I'm looking for. Um, I, I'm not setting the, the, the bar too high because I think the ends are the strong suit of the defensive line. But I want him to come in and get good reps, you know, consistently. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I think that's a, a fair expectation. And then another guy that I would you set the line really, at three and a half sacks for Aquara, Julian? I'd set it at four and a half. Four and a half. With the way that this team is constructed, and I don't exactly know how they'll use uh, Jamie Collins. Yeah. Right. So assuming that he plays a sixteen game season, I think he'll end up somewhere between four and seven sacks. Yeah. Is what I would assume, and is what I, and not even what I assume, but more as what I would hope. Mm-hmm. I understand that he's a third-round pick, but the thing I like about Aquara is more that he brings that speed aspect to, to the edge that I don't think the Lions really uh, have on yeah. this team, right? So I think he brings kind of a different skill set. And then the, the other guy, I, just, I don't think I talked about him enough when we did the defensive backs, is just Will Harris, man. He really, really struggled a little bit when he was forced to come in due to Quadra Diggs' injury and then Quadra Diggs being traded. This is a guy who checks all the boxes athletically, uh, checks all the boxes physically uh, with his height and weight, and just yet last year wasn't really able to put it all together. And so this is kind of where I look at Quinn and say, hey, man, this is a dude entering his second season. I know you have Deron Harmon in there at that strong safety role in front of him, but, I mean, let's see what this guy can do, you know. So, you know, Will Harris is a guy who I was frankly disappointed with in 2019. I feel like the front office was maybe a little bit bullish on what he could accomplish with Quandra Diggs' absence. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But I I wasn't a big fan of when he was picked just because of the position of already taking Tracy Walker the year before out of the same round. I I just, um, you know, I, I want him to do great things. Obviously, he's on my team. Want him to be great, but just kind of looking for him to make a splash this year. Absolutely, man. I'm right there with you when it comes to Will Harris. I'm, I'm really looking for him to kind of measure up to the expectations and the uh, the measurables there coming into the league. And I think that, you know, he's still 24, so he's got room to grow. Um, and just kind of another reason to be subtly excited about this secondary is the depth there where he doesn't really have – he's not forced to do anything major because he's a rotational guy. He's a backup. And – he can kind of play into his role as time goes on, being as young as he is. So um, I think there's a little room for improvement there, and I, I, I'm pretty much lockstep with, with most of what you said about him. Are you ready to uh, jump into the schedule here? I'm ready, man. And, I mean, I'll admit this is a schedule that I haven't you know, gone deep into yet, but there's a couple things that I just want to say. And I think a lot of those things just start with week one. And some of these things also that I'm saying have to be considered with the coronavirus that's going around and whether people will be allowed into stadiums or not. I mean, even if, which I'm assuming there's going to be no fans in Ford Field on September 13th, you got to think that's a must win against the Bears in week one. You got the Packers 
in Lambeau week two. You're at the Cardinals week three, where you tied last year. And home against the Saints week four, it's not an easy start. But you got to think with the Bears and the Cardinals in there, if this team wants to make the playoffs, they probably have to win both of those games and then you know maybe split the Packers and the Saints. I don't want to get too much into maybe what we're predicting in terms of the NFC North, but uh, it's not an easy start to the season. No, not at all. But, you know, it's never an easy start to the season when you're in this division. And it's never – this is a tough league. Um, it's tough saying week one is a must win because, you know, they could supplement a loss to the Bears with a win against, you know, the Vikings down the line or a win against, you know – the, the Buccaneers week 16, whatever it may be, the Saints week four, say less. Um, but I just think that this this is really close to a must win, as close to a must win as week one as you can be. And I'll tell you right now, dude, even with going over the depth chart right now, I'm very confident in this team week one. I really am. I think they're going to come out of the gate swinging. This is a team that has struggled against the Bears over the past two years, mostly because of their own faults and not because of the Bears' success. And I think that that's going to show week one of this year. I'm confident, man. I'm confident against them week one, against the Bears week one. I'm confident as hell against the Saints week four. I've made that clear in my podcast. I'm, I don't fear the big dogs this year. I really don't. I think this is an offense that's going to be able to keep up with the best in the league. And although the defense may be lacking quite a bit, yeah, sure, this isn't a wagon of a Detroit Lions football team. This is a team that's going to keep you in games. Their secondary is going to play strong. They have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And there's some weight on Patricia and Bevel's shoulders this year that they're going to have to answer to. They're going to have to answer the bell this year. So kind of just give a little breakdown of the schedule without getting too in-depth. The first four weeks are tough because you have two divisional games and you obviously play the Saints. I know it's at home. And then you got to go play the Cardinals on the road who are... A team you tied last year, and are this is a team that's undoubtedly better than they were last year in the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, they're frisky. They're, they're frisky. frisky. They're, they're yeah. a frisky team. That being said, there's no excuse, in my opinion, for the Detroit Lions to not win two games by their bye week. They have a, they have a bye week, week five. They play Bears, Packers, You're Cardinals, sounding eerily similar than you did on the 2019 pod, man. Huh? You're sounding very similar than you did on the well, 2019 pod. History repeats itself, I guess. Yeah. I think this is a team that is going to go into that bye week with two wins. And then look at this. you got that bye week, week five, and week six through week 13 is where you capitalize on your season. The hardest games you play is against the Colts and the Vikings. But week six, you play the Jaguars. Week 10, you play the Redskins. Sorry, the Washington football team. Week 11, you play the Carolina Panthers. And I know we're both high on the Panthers, but that's a game the Lions need to win. You're playing against... A Houston Texans team that I'm not necessarily sold on. A Colts team that, sure, they're my division favorite, but if they're third in the division in Week 8, will I be shocked? No, not at all. The Minnesota yeah, Philip Rivers is struggling. You never, exactly. you never know. The, the, the Falcons are sprinkled in there. The Minnesota Vikings, I know it's a divisional game, but you got to kind of split those divisional games and beat the teams you need to beat and play, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna drop a game to the Bears or to the Falcons or to the Panthers, you got to be able to to beat the Saints. You got to be able to beat the Buccaneers. You got to be able to win one of those tough games. So, this is a Lions team that I think is up to par with their schedule. I will say, let's bring out a little more Warren Sharp uh, statistics. They have I think they 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 rank like sixth in their um, 
their schedule change from last year and how easy it is. If that makes any sense whatsoever. They had like the 18th easiest schedule last year. They have the 8th easiest schedule this year. And the bulk of that easy schedule comes in week 6, six through 13 when in, you know, uh, 6 through 13 you've got Jacksonville, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Minnesota, Washington, Carolina, Houston, Chicago. I think the Detroit Lions are better, clearly better than five of those football teams and should be winning against five of those football teams. And if they can split the division, that puts you right around nine wins. And that's right where I see this Detroit Lions team. Um, whether or not they're going to be able to defeat the curse that is the Detroit Lions history is something that I'm not necessarily qualified to comment on based on my track record. But for me to have hope is not against the rules, and I have hope. I have a lot of hope for this team this year. I think this is a team that's going to capitalize on their schedule this year and going to win nine football games this year, Adam Klepp. I think they're going to win nine wow. football games this year, and I think they're going to sneak into the playoffs. I think the way you're kind of starting to look at this schedule is a good way to look at it, um, especially because, and let me just kind of bring up the last four weeks of the season as mm. well. Tough. Packers at home, Titans AFC Championship game last year on the road, Buccaneers, who I, you and I both think will be a really, really good team this year at home in Week 16, and then Week 17, you got the Vikings at home as well. I mean, you end up with those two tough teams at home at the very least, but who knows what a home field advantage will mean uh, in 2020. So it, it'll kind of come down to... Can you survive that, that first four games, and can you can survive the last four games, and can you excel in the middle of the season? Uh, and, hey, man, they got teams like the Jags. You got teams like the Falcons. You got teams like the Colts. You got teams like the Washington football team. And the Bears sprinkled in there. So, hey, maybe you can get a couple games here and there, but it'll just be, uh, be interesting to see, you know, where they can come through. For me, personally, I hate to do this, but I see this team coming in third in the division this year. Mm -hmm. uh, more so, it just becomes, uh, I've trashed Patricia and Quinn too much to kind of throw this team into the playoff mix. I know there's seven teams uh, in, in 2020 that can make it, but ultimately, I see the Vikings kind of being the top dog in the NFC North. And as much as I think the Packers are, are facing a down year, I still can't discount Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and some of the offensive linemen they have there, as well as Mike Pettin and the defense that they put together to say that, hey, this team is going to be worse than Detroit. Now, I think the Lions will come in third. It'll probably be you know a competitive year, but at the end of the day, I just don't trust Matt Patricia enough to say that they're going to, hey, get a 500 or even a winning season, as much as I uh, hate to say it. And then ultimately, just with the Bears, with the uncertainty at quarterback, with the way the defense performed last year with the lackluster offense, I think that they will come in last in the NFC North. But, you know, I don't know, man. As much as I hate to say it, as much as I have said good things about this team, as much as we have you know, looked at different position groups and said where this team can be good. I think a lot has to go right for this team to even make the playoffs with seven teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair, Clep. And this is probably the first time in the history of this preview pod that we're that you're predicting the Lions. Either of us are predicting the Lions to win less than you know nine or eight or nine games. Um, obviously, you know from the jump, um, I've had more faith in this team than you. I think a lot of that comes from the top down with Patricia, honestly, and that's. Totally understandable. I see where your um, where kind of the fear comes from, and you predicting 
this team to win the games that they're supposed to win, quote unquote. But um, I'm hot on this team, man. And maybe it's just me being a young spry fan who hasn't really necessarily been in the foxhole for as long as you have. But listen, man, I got the ale in me right now, so I'm going to make it clear. They're going to beat the New Orleans Saints week four, and it's going to be put in the prophecy. Okay. We're going to put is that it, in the prophecy. Uh, is, that a, is that a wrap? Do you want to say the, it's the a wrap. words? It's a wrap. Week four, New Orleans Saints are going to come to Detroit. They're going to come up to Ford Field. Drew Brees' heart's going to be A little flooded. Corey Fuller, a little Glover Quinn. Little, it's like back in 2014. If you're a real fan, you know. I think this is a team that's going to probably split the division. Um, I pray that they can go 4-2 four, four and two in the division, split the division, beat the Bears twice, win the games they're supposed to win. They tend to never do that. Maybe they'll drop one of those games they're supposed to win. I really hope it's not against the Washington football team. That would be devastating. Um, but I think if they can win that game against the Saints, I think they win one against the Packers, they win one against the Vikings, um, and I think this team goes 9-7. and seven and can, I'm not going to say they're going to make the playoffs because who knows how many teams will be 9-7. and seven. Who knows what the ramifications of the you know getting into that seventh spot will be. But with those nine wins, they will be in that conversation for that seventh spot in the playoffs. I'm confident. Um, like I said about Matthew Stafford, the clock is ticking. Um, I believe in Patricia more than you do. I We both believe in Daryl Bevel. I think Unlin is going to be an upgrade at the very least. And I think this is a team that's going to be something to be excited about this year. And I really think that by bye week, week five, we're going to have a nice feel on kind of what the tempo of this Detroit Lions team is going to be, what the energy surrounding this Detroit Lions team is going to be. And if they can win two or three of those first four games, that would be huge, I think, for me um, in my confidence moving forward with this team. But, yeah, I'm right around nine wins there. Yeah, I agree with some of what you said. And, honestly, at the end of the day, for me, give me Stafford healthy for 16 weeks. Mm-hmm. Give me, give me, give me Bevel offense, Stafford quarterback, healthy for 16 weeks, and I'll see where we're at yep. as we go through the season. Because we didn't get to see a lot of that last year, but then at the end of the day, even in the games that Stafford played, the defense was not really up to snuff, right? So, yep. let's kind of see all this come together. Who knows? This team, you know, maybe can catch a few breaks here and there. Stafford's an animal in the fourth quarter, and you know, we can go from there. But at the end of the day. The, the coaching just kind of makes me take a pause for this team. And it, it's hard, especially when you just look around the NFC as loaded as it is. It's, it's tough to say that this team, you know, can be one of the top ones in, in, in the conference. So um, as we approach two hours here, I think it's time Joe for, Rogan for experience. The Joe Rogan experience. By the way, club shout out to that polo, man. That's a good looking polo. Hey, dude. shout out to JP Shady. I know last yeah. year, you know, you were maybe we you know, raining on his parade. I was an know. asshole. I'll admit it. I was the, <laughs> JP, that's on me, man. That's on me. I was being bullheaded. I was on my, listen, I was in my angsty fan phase where I was calling people out. And it's never personal. You're a great kid. You're a Lions fan through and through. And I look forward to celebrating a playoff game this year with you, hopefully. Because you know what? You're a good kid. Hey, you know what? You know, Lee, you were no as a man with no team. You know, prior to moving to Michigan, you know, hey, Shady is a man who has also moved from CSC. Yep. He knows he knows the challenges. You know, you, you got to roll with the punches and yeah. 
You gotta, let, you let me just say something too, Shady. Hey, Shady, this polo wasn't fitting the way it is today the way it was one year ago. Yep. Let me just say that. I wore this thing to work a couple times. I was busting out of it. Hey, I'm trimmed down. This thing, this thing's flaunting all my features. I mean, shoot, Clep, you look like you, you could be out there on the practice field right now, making with the clipboard, Woo. making some decisions. Woo. I cut a couple pounds. Let's just say that. Check a light five miles cut. today. Check, li- check the BJP Dynasty director's cut if you really want to know yep. the truth, man. That's yep. all I gotta say. <laughs> Let's get Dolan on the horn, eh? Let's call him up. Let's call him up, man. See if he answers. This is this is always the the tense moment of the Lions preview podcast. We don't tell him. No, we don't we tell him. The that we're doing it. We gotta get the natural. We gotta get the natural reaction. Hopefully, he's a few beers deep here. Dolan's a man of the two-hearted ales. I almost got him today. Shout out, Coach DeWall. Two-hearted. It's a man's drink. Two-hearted is a man's gotta, drink. Gotta have a few at Mount Chalet. Yep. You know. Yep. By the way, the MHSAA canceling the season until I know. spring. Brutal, man. Brutal. 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 No dice from Dolan? Is it no dice from Dolan this year? Well, that, that'll be frustrating. I feel like we'll have to edit him in. We may have to. I mean... He'll, he'll be pissed at himself. Did he, he send it straight to voicemail? I'm calling Are you him. calling? Are you, all right, all right. I'm calling Lee Murray. Uh-oh. Dolan, my brother. Oh. My brother. Oh, baby. We're doing good, man. We're two hours deep into the Lions preview pod, and we got to get the annual Dolan analysis oh in here. God. I think you called me at the best time ever. It's my boy's 21st. We just went to this Mexican taco bar. Yep. I got, I got three really delicious tacos. One of them was a little too spicy, but the margaritas made it a bit better. I would love to talk to you right now, man. Dolan, Dolan, I'm so glad I got a hold of you. I'm so glad you got some taco in your belly, brother. Yes, I love I love hearing that you're doing well. Klepp and I just went down the pipe. We, we completely uh, analyzed every positional group on the Lions. And I'm around nine wins for the Lions. Klepp is a little more pessimistic. You know, expect, really? expected, he, Klepp, you know, we expected this out of him. He's not into the Patricia thing. You know, he's, he's a little more pessimistic. Where's your head at? Coming into this year, COVID and all, division and all, what, what are you thinking for the Detroit Lions this year, full scale? Well, you saw what I've been saying in our chats, and that's that we got the egos out. And uh, something that's gotten me really angry recently, as you see with, you know, Joe Judge coming into New York, you saw it even with Brian Flores in Miami last year. Uh, when they came in and started all the Belichick coaching tree guys, when they come in, you know, they try to, you know, change the culture, you know, do a little bit of, you know, running laps if you mess up or anything. And the media there in New York and Miami praised them for it. And Patricia, mm-hmm. because Glover Quinn and Darius Slay and all these guys came out and were talking, they trashed them for it. So I think the fact that we got the egos out of town, uh, I love Snacks Harrison, who's been outspoken. He was never on the uh, Patricia regime train. Darius Slay is out. I think the group of guys that we have going into the season are people that are going to buy into what you really need to buy into to be in a Patriots-like system. Yep. And that's why the, the Patriots have always had a machine for the past couple or past couple decades uh, because their players, once you get in there, 
you're buying in forever because you realize this is what winning football is like. So I, uh, you know, kind of had a similar prediction for the Lions season last year. I thought we were going to maybe be 8-8 eight eight going into it. And minus, I was fine with, you know, the, the Chiefs and Packers losses going. Because it's tough to uh, evaluate uh, the non-Stafford play. Of course. But we, were lo- we were looking really good in every game besides, you know, the second half of the Cardinals game was infuriating. Um the, the Vikings game didn't look too good, but the offense showed up. It was the defense's fault. And I, I think that now that we have, you know, me, you, and Clev have been talking about for a while about how we just hate these old-school linebackers. Like, my former guy, Jared Davis, and then Tavai Nate, hashtag Tavai Nation. Tavai Nation, boy. What's up? Jelani Tavai. And um, now that we have Jamie Collins in there playing, you know, kind of the Isaiah Simmons' light role of the defense. I think that'll take care of the linebacking struggles. I think Jeff Okuda right now is as good as Darius Slay is right now. And I know he doesn't have the, you know, maybe experience or like, you know, just knack for the game, especially in the NFL that Slay has right now. But Slay is about to be 30 years old. And I don't want to give a 30 year old quarterback that $75 million. So I'm completely fine with Okuda slotting in for him. I think the defense is going to be better. I think Hawkinson looks like he's in really good shape. Uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones have uh, everything that I've read from uh, training camp. I saw that Marvin Jones had an amazing uh, one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Uh, I think that this team is my, – my expectation is 9-7. and seven. Yep. And I, I expect us to get that 7 seed in the play because it's 2020. It's COVID. We got seven playoff teams per conference. I think that the Lions are our best-case scenario. And, you know, I, I have to be hopeful because hope is all we have right now, brother. And I'm, I'm Damn right, brother. Go, I'm going to have to go with making, uh, again, that seventh seed and being that team you don't want to face uh, in the playoffs and get it there. And, and the one last thing I'll say about guys like Clover Quinn and Darius Slay and Snacks Harrison, these people who complained about Patricia coming in and try to change the culture. If Matthew Stafford can buy into it and still be a leader and go along with the system and say nothing bad, that a guy who has been in the league way longer than any of them were, than anybody can. Yep. So I, I have no respect for those guys who have refused to buy into what Patricia did, and the Detroit media has been trashing him because, you know, he was commenting about posture while they're asking questions. So that's my view on the Lions season this year. Beautiful. We have, a, we have a lot of good impact players. I think DeAndre Swift, at the time when we picked him, I wasn't too happy about it, but we ended up getting – that was just a team need issue. We ended up getting Aquara. So now I think DeAndre Swift was great pick. And I, I, I'm really fired up about this year. I think we made a lot of quiet but solid moves in free agency. And I think it all comes down to a full year of healthy Stafford, and I yep. think he's ready to go. Well, Dolan, you sound fairly lockstep to the position that I have in the Lions. I, I predicted yeah. them to go 9-7, and seven. a lot of the weight coming down on the shoulders of Matthew Stafford, obviously. Yeah, but, of course. Man, I, I love hearing your voice. I love the confidence coming from your end, and I can't wait to hop back on the horn with you right now. Absolutely. You know, man, once, uh, once the uh, NFL season started, especially – I'm living with the Chicago Bears fan. Oh, yeah. And he's uh, week one, Lions minus one and a half. I've been telling him it's locked. Uh, it's going to be a little uh, kind of heated. And, uh, yep. 
department that we're in that week. We got a Lions flag, Bears flag, Lions. Damn, damn right, Dolan. If you ever need reinforcements up there, just let me know. You know, I always got your back, brother. Hey, well, hey, I have a few. I have a few Dolan things. We got that Patricia regime face. Yes, sir. I got to parlay a question to you here from Clep. So, so just hold on a minute. Let me let me give you a question here. Dolan, I'm right here, buddy. He can't hear you because I got the uh, earphones yeah, and right. I got the splitter right now. Yeah, tell, tell, tell him I'm right here. I've been hearing everything you said. Tell him, tell him that. Tell, tell Dolan I've been hearing everything you said. Club can hear you, but you can't hear him. Let me parlay a question. All right, so so first of all, Dolan, last year uh, you, you joined me and Lee on a bet that Mitch Trubisky would never win at Ford Field. He did, unfortunately. Do you regret that? Dolan, Klepp's got a question here. Last year, you joined me and Klepp on the prophecy that Mitch Trubisky would not win a game at Ford Field. Klepp's just simply asking if you regret that prophecy. No, I don't regret that prophecy. <laughs> we scored a That's a heavy prophecy right there by Dolan. That's a heavy prophecy. Well, uh, well, let me add on a question. Dolan has in the past prophesized uh, the Vikings as being not equivalent to the Lions. So where does he see the Lions you know, projecting against the Vikings this year? All right, Dolan. Last question here from Klepp. He, he, he's, he's saying that in, in recent years you've prophesized the Vikings being somewhat of a paper tiger – where do you yeah. where do you see the Vikings coming out this year in the in the NFC North? I think the Vikings are the team to beat in the NFC North. I, uh, I, I last year we were all on the same page of the Packers being the worst thirteen and three team in NFL history. Yeah, and uh, so I have absolutely no love for them at all, especially with the draft that they just had. I think I mean not only did they spend uh, their first round pick on a backup in Jordan Love, they spent their second round pick on a backup in AJ Dillon. They just announced they're trying to sign Aaron Jones to a long term deal. Um, I, I have no idea what they've been doing this offseason. I think that there's a Lafleur Rogers beast that uh, is just unspoken because of how passive Aaron Rodgers is. But uh, I, I do like the Vikings uh, squad, even without Stefan Diggs. Uh, I got solid faith that Jefferson will end up stepping in. And you know I got Thielen in the Dynasty League. Yep. And uh, he's going to be getting those number one targets now. So I think the Minnesota Vikings, even though the NFC North right now is one of the hardest divisions to predict in football, I think the Vikings are the team to beat. So I'm not hating on the gotcha. Vikings this year. Fair enough. Especially after they went into, uh, you know, because I, I hate the New Orleans Saints. And uh, that Kirk Cousins to Thielen throw in overtime was one of the funniest things I've ever seen last year uh, in the Superdome. So uh, I, I got respect for the uh, Vikings. I think they're the team to be in the division. That was a beauty. Hopefully, hopefully the Lions are going to be that, you know, second team in the division over them. Because the Packers, 
scare me a little bit because you never know uh, what's going to happen then when you have Rodgers, even though he's kind of regressed a little bit. But Bears, I, <laughs> I got no worries about the Bears. So Vikings are the team to be in the division right now. All right, Dolan, we got another one for you. Sorry. Last one. Oh, Last course. one. Here it is. So we'll, we'll tell, tell John Dolan, hey, man, we always appreciate you participating in the call and despite the fact, hey, peek behind the curtain, you never know when the Lions preview podcast yep. is going to come in. The club's just shouting you out right now, saying that we love having you on the pod and, you know, we love getting that, we love getting that impromptu call in. You know, you're at some taqueria right now getting yeah, nice – Getting, getting nice and buckled with your buddies, which we always respect, we always love, and uh, yeah, we just want to say... the city in the world, East Lansing. And despite that John Dolan is in public right now, will he <laughs> indulge me in singing Gridiron uh, Hill in dialogue with me right now? I ask him that. Oh yeah, baby. Klep, Klep's asking if you would indulge him in singing Gridiron Heroes right now. Oh, of course. All right. I, I, I'm not sure how to manage this because... Well, I'll, I'll count it down. All right. I mean, Dolan knows the words. I mean, it, hey, if Dolan needs to pull two, the lyrics... One, two, lyrics. three, four. Forward down the field, a charging team that will not yield. And win the blue and silver wave... Stand and cheer the brave. Rah, rah, rah. Go hard, win the game. With honor, you will keep your fame. Down the field, we gain a lion victory. Go, Lions. That was. More beautiful than you could ever imagine. You and Klepp were in harmony, although you couldn't hear it. And Dolan, you guys, love you, Dolan. I can't love you, wait to get back on the horn. Club can't wait to get back on the horn. Enjoy your night with your buddies, man. Stay safe yeah, out I there. Appreciate it, brother. It's always great talking to you guys. Once the season starts, then it's content season. Yes, so. sir. All right, love you, buddy. Stay safe. Stay cool. All right. See you, man. That was beautiful. I tried to step in, but I'm I'm clearly a sieve of a Lions fan. I'm not necessarily in tune with the uh, with the Lions fight song. You know, hopefully, you know, we all got places to improve. So I can. Hey, I can Lee, next year, 2021, you can expect Lee jumping in. I'll be jumping in. Down the I'll field. be jumping in. Say it Nothing now. Nothing like gridiron. Nothing like gridiron pumping it down after the Lions score a TD. Yep. Nothing like it. And also, nothing like getting John Dolan. Buckle at some taqueria with his boys, giving the Lions. Hey, analysis. hey! As of as of 2020, John Dolan's a legal dude it's too. Legal yeah. man. Hey, that's all. That's all you gotta. That's all you gotta say. We don't break laws at the back judge, man. We we make laws. We don't break them. So yeah, John Dolan's a great kid. Uh, you know, he uh, he means everything well in the world, and one of, one of our favorite uh, back judge correspondents as well, man. Honestly. John hey Dolan. man, never never fails to answer the phone. Never fails, never to, fails answer to answer the phone. phone. Since my first interactions with that kid, one of the most genuine, funny, uh, and you know, all around enjoyable people to be around. I've been around in, in my short life thus far, and I, I've got really nothing but good things to say about him. Just uh, a pure talent and a pure thoroughbred through and through. Love love getting him on the horn. So, well, and, and lastly. If I could say one more heap of praise Please. on John Dolan. If there was anyone that was behind the Thank You Calvin campaign, yep. 
of the Seattle Highlander yep. that was uh, that was John Dolan. That was John so. Dolan, a man of many talents, a man of many yep. worlds, and someone who was taking a piss next to Clive Owen. Let's also make that clear. This is I a mean, guy hey, who he, we can't we can't discount the man's uh, accomplishments. He, he, he's an accomplished young man. So God bless him, and God bless the Detroit Lions. God bless the Detroit Lions. Lee, anything else to say on this podcast, my brother? I can't wait for this season to unravel. Um, F Bears are going down, man. F Put it right down now. Bears, Bears are going, going down, down, man. Week one. Week Jonah Lopas, you can't be in the stands, boy. It's COVID. Hey, Jonah. Get out here. Get, get used to wearing that Mahomes jersey, my dude. That's all I really got to say. Because the best years were the Conti years, Gene. Fraud. Fraud. Broad. All right, baby, that wraps it up. Two hours, 20 minutes. Love you, brother. Love you too, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's show them some love. Welcome to Detroit. Where's my gangsters and all my thugs? Double them hands up and show some love. And uh, welcome to Detroit City. I said, welcome to Detroit City. Every place, everywhere we go. Man, we deep, everywhere we roll. Let's go around, man, they all know tricky That's what's good, man, they all say tricky